In a world filled with sharks, bears, and killer bees, one man is brave enough to stay indoors to bring you the latest in gaming, movie, and pop culture news. That man is Tom Awesome, and this is the Outside is Overrated podcast. Hello and welcome to Outside is Overrated, a podcast about gaming and nerd pop culture. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm your host, Tom Sidlatik, and we've got a great show lined up for you. We're breaking down the movie Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings, the card game. Joining us for the discussion today are Mrs. OIO, Phoenix Sidlatik. Hello. And the Ox, Adam Wilson. Hey, how's it going? I'm not going to say I'm a total hack with the show notes and completely derail us at the first uh, possible <laughs> moment, but I actually misspelled our surname last in the show notes. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I missed the last letter of Sidlachik. <laughs> huh. I, I see all these horrifying things as I'm reading my notes. It's like, oh, I should really uh, think about what I'm doing from time to time. Uh, Adam, you haven't been with us since the Shelf of Shame episode last summer, where we each brought an unplayed game to the table you're currently building a house how is that experience better than gaming um i wouldn't say better than gaming but it's definitely a great it's an interesting experience lots of up and downs right so there's a lot of waiting which then you get really impatient for and like right now it's definitely on an up phase because they're moving pretty quickly with like getting the basement poured and getting the framing up so it's like every day we can stop by and see progress yeah a couple weeks ago we played the lord of the rings the card game you showed me a picture and it was just like a hole in the earth and it's like oh okay cool you're building a walmart awesome and then today like you showed us a picture it's like oh that that is a house yeah yeah so it's been really fun so a couple days ago they they framed in our main floor so we were able to actually like walk my parents through be like this is where our kitchen's gonna be this is where our mudroom's gonna be and just be able to like lay it all out for them and then emily loves going out there so Aww. it's it's emmy's house let's Aww. go to emmy's house Aww. and then we show like oh this is emmy's room and then she gets all excited that she's in her room even though it's just like a bunch of two by fours you can see across <laughs> all the way the whole building right now but yeah it's it's fun we're super excited to get in and then we just got to save some money so we can get that man cave built again so. well i was gonna bring up man caves because you had a pretty killer space in your last house you had a, like a basement room that was your man cave i think you worked out of there you had your um hand commissioned batman villains paintings all over the walls yeah. you have an awesome shelf for all your amazing games what's your new setup gonna be like in the new house yeah so the room's going to be about the same size, so a really good space. And then on top of it, it's going to have a giant walk-in closet. <laughs> so nice. Nicole wants to to uh, hide all of my stuff, let's just say it in, in uh, PG terms, um, <laughs> behind a door so she doesn't feel like it's super cl you know, cluttery and clustered in there because I have so many games. So she just wanted a big closet we can put up shelves put my games in there, have my 3D printers in there, and then just kind of have one space for all of my hobbies combined. So we're still, it still will be my office and stuff, but yeah, it's definitely one of the first projects we'll have to like save for post being extremely broke after building a house. It's not cheap right now. So, um, but I'm super looking forward to it. I'm, I'm throwing around ideas of actually doing a, like a spaceship themed awesome. room. Right. I've even looked up how to build an airlock so it has even like the noise really? yeah that like <laughs> auto opens and then with my 3d printers and stuff I can like 3d print almost like Star Wars control panels for the buttons and things so I'm as I do things I typically go 
way down in the rabbit hole <laughs> and so i've just kind of been looking into that but i have lots of time to plan because it'll be a couple of years where i'll probably just be hanging out in an unfinished basement before we have the money to finish any room down there so well tom mentioned that you were thinking about doing a murphy door hidden door yes yeah. that is a yes that is a for sure we're thinking it's going to be a bookcase of some kind yeah i really want to tie in somehow um big star wars nerd that's why like there's the whole like spaceship theme yeah. thing going on um i want to tie in so in the original movies you, you go to Jabba's palace or you know Jabba the hut's location on tatooine and they have that little like door camera yes. that pops out yeah i've found 3d printer plans for that and i really <laughs> want to try to figure out how i could maybe print that and then incorporate that into being the secret lever that opens that's like a bookcase awesome. or something so just like a motion detector so anyone walks up to it well, no, we don't want it that easy because we don't we don't want the we don't want the small kids to be able to get in there if I'm, if I'm back there gaming. But no, it's uh, I think the simplest thing is just like a lever, like the book thing is actually super easy to do because you just tie like a wire cord to it, and so when you pull it down, it's actually lifting a latch behind is oh, is the trick to it. Okay. So that's not super complicated actually. You just kind of need to find a sacrificial book uh, yes. to tie in the wire to, but. Yeah, there's lots of brainstorming going on with that. So more to come, I guess. We yeah. could uh, probably do a, a whole episode sure. on the <laughs> nerdy, stupid stuff that I do to my room in a couple of years. So yeah, uh, that's awesome. Well, congratulations on the house coming along, Feeney. In the last couple of months, we've been to the Renfest, Pine Haven Farms, and an apple orchard. What is the definitive Minnesota? fall parent activity well it's interesting i always assumed when i was younger that Renfest was always going to be a major part of my life but hasn't been the case it's, when we went there it's like it's crazy busy the lines are crazy busy and i don't do well with tons of people crowds trying to move around it's just I don't know, just sucks the energy out of me. You're uh, vegetarian, so like getting a big yeah, turkey leg doesn't really, really appeal to you. <laughs> so I was just kind of like, oh, I guess I thought I'd be so into this, like some of our friends, but no, it'd be fun to take the girls when they're older, where we can't lose them in a crowd, you know, because they're gone quickly. But um, yeah, if we had infinite resources, maybe it would be different because like yeah. we could buy a sword and a flag and like all that cool yeah. stuff. But like at this <laughs> particular phase of life, it's like we're trying to purge a lot of stuff and like yeah. pare down what we have. It's like I do not need. A medieval flagon right now yeah but no we went to pine haven up in wyoming and that was pretty cool you know a lot of people there but it didn't seem crowded at all they have everything spaced out and nice spacing so you don't feel overly crowded they have the big pit of corn kernels for you to jump in and climb and dig and then the girls were super into that yeah they have a uh, pumpkin cannon i got to see a pumpkin get shot at 200 miles an hour into the woods yeah. <laughs> it's pretty neat yeah and they have like the slides they have the um zip lines, zip lines a train train and just a lot there but the fascinating part is because they have the um i can't remember what they call it the dead end trail ride or dead something. end hay ride i think yeah you start seeing security guards coming out before they shut down the family part, and they start having the security guards standing around, getting ready for the rowdy crowd. And apparently that is a big deal, because we were there as they were like closing the yeah. family day off, and like the line of people getting ready for the dead-end hayride was yeah. just insane. We're driving out, and there's car after car after car coming in. <laughs> It's like a huge line of people just waiting to get in. It's just, it's a big thing. But So for those of us who don't know, is that like basically a nighttime, almost yeah, adult themed the, like terror trail or something like yeah, that? Yeah, terror okay. trail. Yeah, it becomes a, I think they end the family stuff about 
6.30. So it goes to decent time pretty late for families, and but they start shifting over before that time. And yeah, it's a scary, haunted sort of nice. ride. Okay. And, you know, they have a cool beer garden for family part and for the dead and hayride. It'd be fun to check out the other fall festivals. I know there's a couple big ones around in the area, but I, yeah. Pine Haven was really cool, though. Pine so. Haven was pretty rad. It's got the OIO stamp of approval. If you <laughs> must go outside, go play in the corn pit. <laughs> Before we get started, we want to thank our sponsor, Premier Health. Check out their website at premierhealthmn.com. That's premierhealthmn.com. If you enjoy Outside is Overrated, please support the show at patreon.com slash OIO. That's patreon.com slash OIO. Your support goes towards media, equipment, and other expenses. For your support, you get to vote on the Game Pass games that we play every month, and you get an invitation to our annual supporter bash in the summer. If you enjoy our personalities, you can follow us all on social. Email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com. That's overratedpod at gmail.com. You can find Phoenix at Phoenix and Logic OIO on Instagram. You can follow Adam at Ox's Auditorium on Instagram. You can follow me at Tom Sidlogic OIO on all platforms. And you connect with the show at facebook.com slash outside is overrated. We start the meat of our discussion today with the movie Tolkien. Released in 2019, Tolkien tells a stylized tale of Tolkien's early life. It follows the author from losing his parents through prestigious English schools, focusing on the relationships with his three closest mates, his experience in World War I, and the courtship of his wife. This film is directed by renowned Finnish director Dome Karolkowski. Were either of you familiar with any of his work? Uh, Tolkien or the, oh no the Finnish director no I haven't heard sorry <laughs> yeah neither had I but apparently like he's won a lot of awards he hasn't done many feature films I think he's just done six but I thought this was just a uh, an interesting thing that he was one of the most celebrated Finnish directors of all time yeah knew nothing prior going into the movie so the film stars Nicholas Holt and Lily Collins you might recognize. Holt from his 57 acting credits, including Beast in the most recent X-Men films, Nikola Tesla in The Current War, and 29 episodes of The Great, which I have no familiarity with whatsoever, but it was a show he's done a lot of. Uh, Collins has 27 acting credits, including The Blind Side, Mirror Mirror, and Emily in Paris. This film has a stunning Metacritic rating of 48, based on 37 critical reviews, 68 were mixed, 8% were negative. So, Phoenix, you're our resident movie buff. How much did you know about Tolkien's life going into this? Just about Tolkien? Uh, not much. You know, the books that he's written, but... And he had a pretty cool name, J.R.R. Tolkien. But my mom would talk about her love for Lord of the Rings, but I never have read them, so... Yeah, they're a commitment. Adam, what about you and your knowledge of Tolkien going in? Um, yeah, that he basically wrote Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. I read The Hobbit in middle school. Um, that was kind of... Also, probably about the time the movies were being released as well, so kind of got that whole splash of, um, I believe it's Tolkien, according to the <laughs> sure. movie, uh, uh, at first, but I've That's kind true. of fallen in love ever since. So. Oh, God, I'm going to mispronounce his name for another two hours. <laughs> that really stuck in my head, obviously, uh, his correcting of the teacher. Uh, I'm in a very similar boat. I knew the books that he read, and I certainly bashed on the Silmarillion on this show plenty. Uh, and Feeney, where did this film grab you? Oh, um, the big thing that I really was astonished by watching the film is his brain power, I don't know what you want to call it, his 
ability to create things and um, languages. I can't believe how a brain has to work to figure out all the different grammar, different things with creating a language. And it's just, I was fascinated watching that little piece of the movie of him just coming through, talking about it. And I never put it together about the books because I've never read them. So I didn't know how many languages he did create, you know, in those books. And so it was very fascinating to watch that piece of him. Well, honey, you're wearing a Lord of the Rings shirt. It's literally got a circle of Elvish, well, like what's inscribed on the ring. Well, there's like, oh, yeah, he did language, but actually connecting the two sometimes. It's just like our daughter's been lately. There's a connection. You know? <laughs> but, uh, That's super cute. There's a very interesting scene where he's at a restaurant with his future wife and they're vamping on language. And he's trying to define uh, what different things yes. Uh, mean it was just interesting the interplay between the two of them like you'd think that a conversation about forming a language doesn't sound like compelling video content yes, but no. it actually I thought it was really well done but, I mean and that word too was cellar door yeah that they had like an entire con like how do you get from just that cellar door into like that like they went so deep into it mm -hmm. I, I found it very intriguing as well yeah I guess, the so. meaning and just taking that simple word and that that whole scene sort of capulates what I was seeing throughout the film was just what he has to do in his brain a little bit faster when you talk to someone you don't do it as fast as probably he did in his brain creating the words the language you know just and be able to keep track of all the languages too writing the stories it's like he has to remember everything it's like it's wild to me the thing that grabbed me most about this film was uh it's basically a buddy cop film only for like uh english nerds and just the camaraderie between tolkien and his mates <laughs> riding around england i thought uh i jokes aside i thought that the relationships that he had with his closest friends really carried this film for me and the way they evolved from being young kids from their first interactions where they're picking on this orphan to where they eventually go off to war i thought just the whole ride with the closest friends was really interesting yeah mm -hmm. for sure like so the thing like there wasn't like one specific thing that caught me about the the, the movie I, I kind of thought all of it was great and it like i got done watching it and of course i was watching it at night so it was, i think i probably finished at like midnight but i couldn't resist but then suddenly i started just like mad googling like what was accurate what wasn't things like that so i was, I was yeah. pretty happy to see that like that relationship that he formed through his friends was like very accurate of exactly like how they operated their you know what they did and, and things like that and kind of how that came to form so it was like seeing that that was kind of i think a highlight for a lot of us um of the movie it was nice to see that that was actually very accurately accurately represented i'm glad you did that because i want to deep dive to do a little more research about the film and I'm glad you did that because <laughs> it ran out of time with the kids so what did they uh base that relationship off of were there like letters from tolkien did they or was it all in his journal or like how do they know these relationships that he had with his closest friends and how do they bring that to life yeah i think it's just from like from my understanding i didn't i didn't get into the nitty-gritty of like asking for their resources or anything <laughs> like that but from my understanding there was some interviews that had happened from previous and just like obviously like it's not recent but it's also not like it's super far away in mm -hmm. terms of like time ago like there's obviously documentation and things like that around his life once people became interested in, in his work and things like that so i know um like one of the things that was mentioned that wasn't very accurate was actually how he started writing 
the book, The Hobbit, oh, really? at the end of the movie. Um, he actually, there's really good documentation of that. On Instead of him just kind of like struggling to write and then him having that epiphany moment, he was actually grading a, a, a student's paper while he was at, you know, And he professor. stole their uh, thesis and turned it into a... Well, <laughs> no, he got to a page where a student didn't know what to write, so they left a blank page. Oh. And he actually started using that page to write The Hobbit. Oh, that's wild. <laughs> and and then this must have been from an interview or something yeah. just related to the books back then. Yeah. But he said he almost gave him another letter grade bump just because he appreciated the space <laughs> he, the student allowed for him to write his creativity down. So that's wild. I think that's kind of a cool story. I don't know it why is. they excluded that and made it time. I mean, Hollywood is Hollywood, I guess. But um, yeah, I'm like that. That would have worked just fine, I think, in the movie. I mean, and especially with a lot of the movie about school and stuff, right. it would be appropriate to put that at the end of the movie. Yeah, you know? maybe just too hard to explain. I don't know. So, Yeah, because I mean, there were some pieces in the movie that were probably unclear, like the letter that he sent to her. And we see there's it. multiple shots of this letter sitting on his mantelpiece after the his uh, guardian tells him that he cannot interact with his future wife until he turns 21. Yeah, because through the movie we see him with this. Um, oh, I can't remember her name. Oh my goodness. Uh, I want to say Emily, but that's not right. No, Miss Brandt. Yeah. Why am I thinking Elaine or something like that? But um, the courtship between him and uh, this orphan girl who lives in the same boarding house, and we watch their courtship, him trying to take her to places, save money and stuff, and it was Edith. Edith. And, um, you know, it's just he's told by the priest that he couldn't see her anymore because she wasn't Catholic, and... So we see this letter on Amir through his time at Oxford, and it's like they didn't make it clear, and then all of a sudden he sends it. But when I did some research, he kept that letter to say, I'm still in love with you once you turn 21. So there are some pieces in the film that weren't as clear mm-hmm. as maybe it could have been. I wonder if that just got cut down for that brevity. Editing too, probably, maybe. So that letter was certainly significant. One of my favorite elements of this film, and this is a pretty minor thing, but they had several homages to significant scenes from the Lord of the Rings movies. Like, there's a scene in almost the opening credits where he's hiding from, like, at the base of a bridge as his friends, like, walk by looking for him. And it's, uh, like, a recreation of the iconic Nazgul shot from Fellowship. Uh, Any of those moments stand out to you guys? Yeah, like you said, like, the scenes, like... It's a very stylized film, how they are trying to portray the author of these books... And they do it in a very beautifully stylized weaving of throwing in some elements of what we would consider from the books. And so they worked a Balrog in. That was pretty cool. Yeah, so I think <laughs> that was beautifully done. And it was very well crafted in that sense, trying to correlate what his life is so intertwined with these books. And so it was kind of fun to see those pieces together. So. So it's a biopic about an author from the late 1800s, and the visual effects in this film were just stunning. Like, they're incredible. There was a Balrog that looked like it was straight out of Peter Jackson's technology. What, uh, did the special effects take away from this uh, story about Tolkien and his mates at all, or did you like the the way that they were weaved in throughout? For me, it's interesting, because obviously, like you said, the visuals are fantastic, 
but the odd thing once i did my deep dive at like midnight um was the fact that like that whole like the trench scene where he's like near death and he's kind of basically hallucinating is why you're seeing these things yeah never happened so that was very much i think hollywood's way of connecting like this is like kind of showing what's going on in his brain because i'm sure he sat there and you know when you're trying when you're not in a great situation you your mind finds a way to escape that scenario in ways to like kind of self self preservation so i could definitely see how you know in his brain he could have been thinking about Mm -hmm. that forming things like that that experience was obviously very impactful to him they're not taking away from that um but yeah so i thought it was cool but then after reading it i was kind of like well yeah obviously that's a hollywood inspired way to kind of show or symbolize something yeah talking about the trenches it's like maybe it's possible but i feel like he wouldn't have been able to travel that far along the trench before someone would have stopped and say why are you over here you don't belong with this battalion you know it's just and then he runs out into battle with the blanket i thought that whole scene like i commented on while we were watching the film i'm like oh my goodness this is a little hard to suspend disbelief on and then uh you find out that he was just sick and that it never actually happened it's like oh okay well that makes it at least make sense but I know that the war had a huge impact on him and his life. And I think it was nice that they put it in the movie. Um, and I guess they put it in the movie the best way that they could without having to try to retell the whole war story, maybe, or his time in the trenches, just maybe bring it into a stylized storytelling. And then at the end, explain it was trench fever for a lot of what he we saw. But you know i think it's interesting this film spends a lot of time on tolkien and his closest mates and we all noted that we liked that relationship and that we liked the fellowship between them four very close friends world war one happens all four go to war to come back and like you don't get any closure with the other ones they're just gone forever and it's like that uh that packs an emotional punch for me it's like oh that uh like we don't get a heroic send-off like these people that you relied on all your life are just gone gone and yeah that's just that's it that uh really packed a punch for me and it was a little hard for me that it, I would like to know about his brother a little bit more. It's just his brother was just a little background piece throughout mm-hmm. the whole movie. But I know we're focusing more on his life and his his sort of little fellowship of friends and stuff. But it's like, oh, his brother's gone. Oh, his brother's already fighting the war. You know, it's just like, oh, OK. Yeah, he's not as important as the headmaster's <laughs> kid. It, it definitely seemed like at the beginning the brother was going to play a larger yeah. piece. And then suddenly it's just like. He's gone. Hang on a second. He's got his friends now, and it's like yeah. the brother just disappears. But um, yeah, it's once again from my readings yes. late at night here, because uh, when you have kids, I guess that's what you have to do is either sacrifice sleep or yeah, and you know look into something or, or sleep. So I most of the time choose to sacrifice my sleep. But um, apparently, the other friend of the fellowship that came back was very mentally just like traumatized, scarred as a war would do to i you know anyone i'm not Mm -hmm. downplaying that at all but um so that like friendship kind of petered out per se i guess there wasn't a lot of connection anymore there was no interactions from my understanding um and then tolkien uh, i almost said it wrong as well (laughs) um he i guess created once he became a professor at oxford a second fellowship 
and I didn't recognize the other two names, but they all became kind of renowned writers, I guess. But mm-hmm. the other one was C.S. Lewis, who wrote Narnia then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that kind of going back to his whole relationship and things like that, he ties a lot of stuff back to his religion, back to uh, being a Catholic and things like that. So I kind of find that interesting as well, because C.S. Lewis did the same thing yeah. with Narnia so much that it's it's very interesting, kind of just that time period, I guess, of and writing. Mm-hmm. Um the stories and i mean narnia is also kind of a high fantasy style it is yeah um i've never read narnia like i think a teacher read the lion the witch and the wardrobe to us once but that is my entire experience and that's been a very long time yeah so i mean the movies came out yeah gosh i don't want to say recently because now it's probably been yeah, what, like 10 been 15 more. years yeah. um that was kind of my first experience with c.s lewis but then yeah, there's just a lot of similarities I think you can draw between the two. And so it's kind of interesting how he continued that that fellowship, that friendship. And I feel yeah, like that's yeah. what really drives him as a person are those connections to people. So Yeah, I guess his the friendship, the fellowship became his family since he lost his parents. He was... And apparently didn't like his brother at all. (laughs) (laughs) Seeking, I guess, that sort of family, the camaraderie that he was missing. So, but... Phoenix, you're also you're also our resident romantic. What did you think about the courtship in this film? Because the core elements of this film are the relationship with his friends and then the courtship of his future wife. I think they did a beautiful job of the courtship. I mean, I don't know if they created her too um, modern with some of her viewpoints in the film, but it'd be nice to know how much she did impact his life as far as how close to the truth is her character to the movie but I thought the courtship was very cute and and then the whole opera scene he takes her to the opera they can't get in so they sneak in the back and they can hear it and they're you know playing it out but um the little bit of research I found was that it is actual truth that they would go to the tea house and sit and throw sugar cubes on top of hats. Really? To see if they can get it on the hat without people noticing. So it was something they would do a bit, it said in the what I was reading. So it's a cute little quirk of them, you know, going and having this sort of little venture together. And I mean, that's timeless. Like, that's what you and Nicole did on your first dates, right? It was like throw sugar cubes Something. on hats. I mean, we are like an old married couple, I feel like. So we're, we're approaching that point in our lives where we've almost been together for half of our lives at this point. So, okay. yeah, it's uh, we never, never threw sugar cubes at people. But yeah, we we feel like that old timey couple that just kind of met and dated and never broke up. So, yeah. Yeah, you should have put her off for a decade and made her chase you across the country. That uh, That's a winning tactic. Oh, right, honey? Yes, it is. <laughs> We've had a lot of positives to discuss with this film. Where did the film struggle? For for me, it was that the trench scenes. I just feel like they were so dramatized, and I get they were trying to kind of play that the fever, but after reading even, like... <laughs> After the movie, finding out that that wasn't even like really a thing. That's just how they made it. That I'd say that was probably the biggest struggle for me. But I'm not a huge, I wouldn't say a critic of movies because I've said like, I have movies that I like better than others. But for the most part, I think it's an enjoyable movie. I think when I first saw the scores online, when I was like looking up where to watch it, 
I was like, oh, it it's received as okay in my opinion. But I mean, I definitely thought it was better than okay. I enjoyed like the movie went really fast. Like, yeah, it did. I I didn't at one notorious for also falling asleep while doing research <laughs> in, in bed at night i was glued to my tablet so yeah. while i was watching it so it, it yeah i'm like spinning it into a positive again obviously i like the movie but for me it was just the kind of the trench scenes where it's like it was so kind of outside of what the truth was that that's probably what i would say would be the yeah that's about the only nit that i could find with the film too was like when he runs into battle with his blanket i'm like come on man like (laughs) looking for his friend and like he's like that is very silly and they they explained it to a satisfying enough degree for me beanie your issues with tolkien um i would have liked to know a little bit more of his process into right starting to write the um books the hobbit the lord of the rings i know we're trying to get sort of more just the background story that who created how he how um what impacted and what influenced yeah just the man he became what influenced him to become the man that he is to write the stories i mean what influenced him through his life to you know because as a young kid you're just enjoying experiencing life with his friends he was just bouncing off ideas and writing stories but to actually sit down and start writing those stories it would have been fun to see that a whole perception progress and then also be interesting to know how well received were these stories when they were first released you know how did he did he care if they were that well acclaimed when they were first released or not it would have been and how long it took for them to become a revelation yeah it would have been interesting to see that piece but um yeah it it was a beautifully little weaved masterpiece painting of the boyhood of and you know late uh, his teens and stuff like the foundational Should, period yeah the foundational period of tolkien so it was enjoyable in that sense and like you said it goes by fast it's a light film it's not that heavy and so you can watch it real quick in one sitting you know and just imagine if he lived in an era with word processors like he might have actually been able to weave the silmarillion into a tale that made sense and had like connectivity between the different (laughs) stories well that's one thing you commented is when he started to write the hobbit you're like oh those are long books and he's writing by hand yeah like hobbit okay maybe a human being could get through the hobbit but writing the entire trilogy (laughs) that must have been uh, a life's work just writing every single word by hand. Well, it's just, you know, as an author, you're writing, cross out, scratch, throw away the paper, restart, you know, just the process that the authors went through at that time to, you know, handwrite everything. Can't even imagine. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A, little, a little fun fact, though, before we move on, if you yeah. don't mind. So, one, because I'm always trying to look for the positive in things, right? So, the positive of the trench scene. So, I did look into this. So, uh, Tolkien. Tolkien, see, I almost screwed up again here. Uh, he was very impacted by the war, like we said. So I, I always want to call him Batman, Batman, but they're Bateman, Bateman I believe is yeah. the pronunciation yeah. for him. Is, so for anyone who doesn't know, I kind of had to look up myself. So Bateman in the war, I guess, for over there, is a standard officer that or a standard soldier that's assigned to an officer. And they're basically supposed to be at their side at all times uh, okay. and so tolkien was like very impacted on just like a person being labeled as just common like here's your common soldier mm-hmm. here's your bateman um 
and their loyalty and their cur- courage and just like the things they did for the officers was so impactful to him. That's actually what is the inspiration behind Samwise in the Lord of the Rings is the Bateman of the war. It's very easy to see. And they even named the character in the movie, Sam. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So that's the connection there. And oh, that's anyone missed that. So that is really fascinating. Well, Adam, your overall thoughts, impressions and takeaways on Tolkien. Yes. I, I loved it. I-, I thought it was really good. Um, is it a must watch for someone that maybe doesn't have like a fantasy bent in their life like if you're just uh, a regular person that doesn't care about elves dwarves hobbits (laughs) trolls like is there something is this an enjoyable tale for someone that doesn't have the nostalgia of the books or the film franchise hanging over their head yeah um for me that's what drew me into it but i can also see that Nicole, so Nicole, my wife, is not a nerd by any means. She pretends to be a nerd by being an engineer, but I call it, I tell that, I tell her that doesn't count. <laughs> um, and so, like, a lot of the movies I watch are extremely different than what she does. Mm-hmm. And so, this though, I feel like I could actually sit down and watch with her. And the part she'd probably hate the most is the trenches where he's hallucinating yeah. just because it's so extreme. Like, oh, a dragon popped out of nowhere and just blew fire. Like, what? <laughs> um, but it's like, that's only such a small portion, like quick glimpses that I feel like she could actually sit down and watch it and enjoy it as well. Not sure. being a fantasy person, she would get into probably the more friendship and love story that's within there. So, yeah, I think you definitely can find something you like um, okay. if you're not into the lord of the rings at all with it so yeah i agree with adam i mean it's probably a nice gateway for couples that maybe one person is more into it and would like to watch this movie to know a little bit more about tolkien and have your significant other watch it with you without them having to be invested in the fantasy part but you know it's a nice little biography movie you know stylized fun to watch easy so. Good effects. I really enjoyed it. I was very surprised by all the negative reviews around it. Yeah. And I guess the reviews weren't all negative, but there was a, certainly a lack of positivity around it in the critical review space. Well, I mean, I can see how, I don't know. I mean, critics are always trying to look for the thing that surprises them, overpowers them, just shocks them, you know. But it's just a nice, gentle film from Britain, you know, so... That's all I can really say. Yeah. I mean, what do critics really know anyways, right? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) what do they know? Well, there you go. Tolkien, good film. Tom, I I feel like when I'm on the show, you always ask me to do these reads. uh, Yeah, the Premier Health reads. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... I stayed up super late trying to think of something, and I drew a blank this time. But uh, do you know if anyone uh, could possibly help me correct my telepathetic notes so I can say nope in my mind next time? (laughs) Certainly. Check out Premier Health. They have solutions for back pain, neck pain, car accident, telepathetic injuries, and more. We suggest seeing Dr. Camille in Golden Valley, Minnesota. Learn more at PremierHealthMN.com. That's PremierHealthMN.com. That is a nice reference to our Elden Ring show. Thank you. I forgot the telepathetic. That was oh very my fun. Gosh. I I died laughing when I heard that that whole. I'm so glad you guys kept that whole thing in there. So yeah, that was perfect. Good stuff. And if you want to be a part of the inside joke, check out the Elden Ring and Dark Souls board game podcast, our most popular show by a very 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 wide margin. Before we get to the Lord of the Rings, the card game, we're gonna do a top five list inspired by Tolkien's influence on high fantasy. I'll turn it over to Adam for his top five fantasy games. 
It's time now for... Tom Awesome's Top 5 Countdown. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Yeah, so uh, you asked me to do the Top 5 Fantasy Games. I know when we were texting about it and I was responding not in my head. Um, (laughs) I joke because I think you threw out two different ideas and I think my response back to you is super sarcastic being like, Tom, I don't think anyone wants to hear about your Top 5 Fantasies. I disagree. People listen to this podcast. They hear it all the time. You you kind of left it off there. But now that we've specified Fantasy Games, I feel like I can jump into this much better. Um, So, but yeah, so... Criteria is just kind of like, I'm a big sci-fi guy as well. So I'm like, okay, obviously I need to cut out a lot of that out of my uh, list. And then also games is like, I could have, I guess, dived into video games. We didn't really specify, but me being, I feel like one of the residential board game experts for OIO, I'm like, well, why don't we just talk about board games again one more time? So, and sadly, you've probably all heard a lot of these names before, but um, yeah, they're all fantasy games that tie me in and, and I wanted to exclude the card game because we're obviously talking about it and things like that and I'm just getting into it but we'll talk more about it later but it's definitely a good one mm-hmm. spoilers so <laughs> um so my number five would be Explore it which um, we talked about on New Year's New Games I believe 2021 yep there was a new uh version like there's several Hexplorit games and there's yep. been several iterations of it and one came out i believe in 2021 and it sounds like a very tom friendly game but give us a quick rundown on what Hexplorit is yeah so Hexplorit is basically a D board game um without a D license correct so the Hexplorit name comes from the fact that like every single map in the game is hexes um and then all of your stat sheets instead of just like circles or boxes are all hexes as well and then each side is how you kind of level up your stats you only have so many level ups you can just naturally buy you have to or you can unnaturally buy i guess and just level yourself up where everything else you have to learn through experience um so that's kind of they've tied the hex into it more so that's where the hex it title comes from but yeah there's different volumes for just different bosses you can fight so you go everything from just kind of like an undead king to a forest with animatronics that she's trying to like it's a basically a robot trying to like revitalize uh to basically a dune style worm boss and then you can and then the latest one was a vampire like kind of king or something i don't know what you would describe it as but um and then you can tie all of them together and you can have the bosses fight each other and there's this mm-hmm. kind of like it's that sandbox style board game that i see as D because in D it's whatever you want it to create it and that's the same way with hexplorer is every piece of content they come out with is interchangeable with all of the other volumes they have that's awesome if someone wants to jump in and start like today with hexplorer where do you recommend that they jump in i would definitely just start with valley of the dead king it's the first volume they've released the newest volume they said you could start on but i think just understanding the core mechanics and not overwhelming yourself with some of the new mechanics they've involved with like dungeon crawling like micro dungeon crawling within the dungeon crawl itself um i think the very first volume is a great place to start and really just like the core box has plenty of content to keep people going for a while 
I would love to check that out sometime. Number five, Hexplore. Number four uh, would be Tainted Grail, actually. So um, I have to shout out a, a friend of mine, Matt. He's a fellow daycare dad. Um, and we connected actually over Critical Role D&D. I noticed he had oh, a Critical really? Role hat on. I'm like, hey. And you just struck up a friendship I, with daycare dad, like in the parking daycare lot. Daycare dad, yeah. Yep. It was like, when <laughs> hey, we cool both, hat. You want to come over and play board games? It was like, you know, at 630 in the morning. That's basically what happened, actually. So, um, so yeah, I'm actually going to the movies with him tonight to go see Beetlejuice. They're replaying at the, the oh, Alamo. Yeah. So we're going to go check that out. But um, yeah, so we were just kind of talking and like, I'm like huge board gamer and he's done. He actually played a lot of the Lord of the Rings card game oh, um, okay. back when it released. So he has dabbled in board games outside of, you know, Monopoly and Sequence. <laughs> um, but he was super intrigued by Tainted Grail. So Tainted Grail, for anyone who doesn't know, is an author. Arthur, oh, I'm going to not be able to pronounce this. A King Arthur legend. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll make it sound grammatically incorrect here. But it's like a very heavy twist on like it being super dark. Oh, um, really? So basically, King Arthur's dead. We don't know what's going on. on Like with Camelot and, and the entire... Oh my gosh, I'm totally mind-blinking the, the name of the region now. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so like Camelot and the surrounding region. So basically yeah. what you are is you're going into this super dark... I kind of described it as almost like dark metal like atmosphere <laughs> like you're just like it's very grim there's really bad things going on but the thing that I've fallen in love with and like it was definitely one of those games that was like almost a shelf of shame game for a while it sat on my shelf for like probably a year and a half and then we started playing it the choices you make in that game are insanely influential down the road really? like it is like I'm getting goosebumps literally thinking about <laughs> like our playthrough it is like becoming one of my favorite games just because of like i love the theme and the choices and the like mysteries you have to solve within like you you get two giant books that you have to like reference when you're like making choices which sounds super fun like everyone loves digging in the rule book (laughs) i know but like it's like you get so excited when you get to dig in the rule book because you're like i'm finding something out we're getting (laughs) we're, we're on we're on to something here and it's just like, yeah, the choices you make are so influential. And then there's like this interesting balance of like combat. The combat's very complicated at first. So definitely having someone who understands it to walk you through it. It's very slow and clunky, but once you get it, you start going. So I know the first couple times we played through it, it was slow. But um, now that we had a, got a hang of it, we were able to move through it faster. But then they also have like a diplomacy aspect of it as well. So you have to not only level your combat skills, you have a diplomacy deck too. So mm. some people may be better at actually talking down because like you're walking into settlements that have been like abandoned by Camelot and there's bad things going on. And it's just like sometimes you walk into hostile environments and fighting isn't an option because you're way outnumbered because it's like in our case, it's a party of two people. Mm. What are we going to do <laughs> when we walk into a village that's hostile? So that's where diplomacy comes into play. So it has this cool fighting and diplomacy and characteristics and then like just the choice it's a very narrative based uh game but yeah it's super and it sounds awesome but it also sounds like it's not something for a casual audience like i know like you are hardcore can like somebody that's not you pick up uh tainted grail and really get into the meat of it and see all the awesome stuff that's there under the hood or is it just going to be an overwhelming thing unless you have a quarterback yep so i would say on that note, that's why they redid the newest campaign is called Tainted Grail, I believe Kings of Ruin. And it's a standalone game slash expansion um, that they created to streamline the experience. Okay. So it's less grindy. It's less cumbersome for, 
I wouldn't still say like a mom who's going to buy Tainted Grail off Target, even though it's not going to be sold in Target. But I, I wouldn't say it's that. But like if you have a little inkling in in gaming and maybe you've dabbled in Catan or something like that, where it's like, you know, you, you talk to people out in the world and they're like, oh, I've, I've heard of Catan or I've heard of Wingspan. It's like, OK, I, think I mean, it sounds enough. like Catan to Tainted Grail is a bit of a job. Yeah. Yes. Well, I would say to the original, but I, I don't know what the exact streamlined thing is, but I know they've completely reworked the rule book Mm -hmm. and they've streamlined a lot of the grindiness and they've streamlined a lot of the mechanics just to make it more new player friendly i don't i haven't experienced that yet so i can't tell you at which volume but it's definitely (laughs) going to be easier that i've heard like really good reviews of it will be easier than what the first experience was it's cooperative or is it cooperative yep yep see this is the thing i know i'm not (laughs) as deep as you guys get but listening to this because i love king arthur and that whole time story and it's like, oh, this is fascinating. It would be fun to try it, but I know I'm not as hardcore as you guys. Well, but... there's a save mechanic, and I think what we're saying is we're going to kick Joe out of Robot Club, and we're going to rebrand it as Tainted Grail Club, and then we'll oh. do that, right? Yeah. Awesome. I wonder if Burns will watch your children so you can come. <laughs> <laughs> no, it sounds awesome. I'd be super interested in checking it out. And So number five, Explore It. Number four, Tainted Grail. Number three. Yep, and I know I'm being long-winded, so I'll try to hurry these up a little bit. But No, you're three, perfect. <laughs> number three is Hoppamaka's Victorum. Um, Made by your favorite studio in the whole wide world. I know I tried Chip Theory games. keeping them out of every single number in this, I guess. Um, but I've really enjoyed this experience. So if anyone's played the old video game Gladys, so it came out in like the Xbox, I think like PS2 era. Yeah, it was like late 90s. Late yep. 90s, very early 2000s. That was like my, probably one of my first really good experiences outside of like the old republic kotar series with star wars of like a really good rpg that i was able to really deep dive into and find every little easter egg and things like that um and so this game is inspired by that so you're it's it's 100 solo so this is also probably like a little bit of a niche uh uh top five but for me it's it's 100 solo and you're a hero and you're building kind of like a gladiator it's not a school but it's a squad of gladiators and you're going around trying to basically save you're basically tolkien with your closest mates and like building up your poetry and your artistic skills exactly with a gladiator theme slapped on top of it yeah so so that's what it is but it's really fun just to like level your character and your hero then gives bonuses to the gladiators you recruit out and each region has uh specific gladiators so like they all have different like styles according to the region that they've grown up in per se right so you have your like ocean view who a lot of them are aquatic style like they have the nets and the long reach with like the harpoon style weapons or you can go to like the volcanic region where it's like they're a lot more hardy because they've grown up around a volcano so they're a lot more defensive and so you you have to also go to regions just kind of thinking like how am i going to build my team and and then you have to hopefully grab that person out of the bag and then defeat them so you can recruit them later. There's just like a lot of pieces that kind of come in and it's it's really well done. So it's it's a great experience if I guess you're a solo nerd who sits in his basement by himself to play games sometimes. Hey man, you love board games. I'm not. I have a hard time seeing myself play a lot of games solo. Like I talked about playing a solo run through of Lord of the Rings to prepare for this game, and it just yes, never did. happened. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. No, it's um. It's something that, well, I'm hoping I can corrupt my my child, Emily, into uh, being a big board game nerd with me so I have a partner in crime. Um, 
that I can I can play with. But yeah, for now it's kind of like I have that itch to do it very like a lot more often than what I can actually get together with friends. So solo gaming is kind of where I've stepped into, and I've realized it's not as weird as what it sounds. So like I know I kind of joke about it, like I kind of feel like I have to, but it's a huge thing. Like there's a huge community of solo oh, board yeah. gamers because they just don't have. The people around them are like mm-hmm. a local game store. Some of these people like live in, you know, the middle of nowhere and it'd be an hour to drive to a town and let alone that's a town of probably 50 and none of them play board games. Right. Sure, so yeah. that's kind of where it was born, I think. Also, maybe just all of us being like introverts that are like living yes. in our basements more <laughs> that there might be a little spot of that, too. But well, life is busy, too. And like not everyone has like the opportunity to play Gloomhaven with a set group of four players together every week for like ever. Right. So it's I mean, I can definitely see the appeal in the market for it. If if I didn't have OIO like hanging over my head every month forever <laughs> maybe i'd be more open to a solo board game experience yeah yep nope and it's definitely like uh what am i going to do with my time and once you have kids that even becomes more yeah. valuable i feel like so that's where it's like i can compromise with nicole a little bit where it's like okay not every weekend am i asking to do games if i can scratch that itch a little bit during the week while i play by sure. myself i guess yeah. so yeah no i totally get that so number five hexplore it number four tainted grail number three hoplomachus victorum number two well, number two would be Uprising, Curse of the Last Emperor. So, And I know we've talked about this on the yes. show before, but I'm drawing a complete blank on what Uprising yep. is. So this is a 4X co-op game. So you speak in our language. Yes. <laughs> so it has my love of 4X. So you're, you're basically, you are a race of some kind. And you are going to be exploring tiles around you and then building bases on them and exploiting the resources they provide, um, all while trying to fight back the baddies. And how this, the the theme of it, they've tied really well in is the fact that there is an, you know, evil empire, because of course, every good, Mm -hmm. you know, place has an evil empire of some kind, Um, good fantasy story. And so... And then there's also like the emperor then went through this traumatic experience. I believe it was his son that died and he tried bringing them back to life or something like that. Created a like rift in the world that these chaos monsters started coming through. This is the game that you uh, have the bull people in, right? Or the ox people? Yeah, there are. there's a faction of ox people and then I also... That are named after you. No, 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 no. They already have that I'm pretty sure you do them up. Yeah. They already have that plan, but I did create one of the major bad guys in the game that they took my idea for. Oh, cool. Um, And then I helped write some of the lore to the fact of they even put my name in the credits of the people who helped them write some of the lore for the into the rule book. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, no, that was like a super fun experience. And so maybe that's why I'm a little biased towards Mm -hmm. it, but actually it's a really good, it's a really good co-op game that you can sit down and each faction is very unique in how they have tips and tricks on how to work through that. But the premise of the game is you are fighting obviously the evil empire and then chaos. So the evil empire starts in the middle of the map. We're all surrounding that. But then from the outer edges of the board, the horde are coming in. The chaos monsters are coming in. And you also have to fight those. So you're trying to balance that. But at the same time, each of us are different races that are wary of each other just due to past history of the region. Mm-hmm. But we are cooperatively trying to fight. So what we there's like simple rules of like you can't move your armies into the same spaces and i know with the recent expansion they just had there's some cards that break that like they Mm -hmm. allow some races to help with others so like they're they're changing that like with uniquely that each i think they have like eight now allied races you can play versus the emperor and the the chaos 
it's a super fun experience. It sounds really interesting, and that must have a really nice like tension level to it with the big bad in the middle, and then like the um, encroaching forces from the outside. What do you need from your co-op partners in this game? Like, if there's one person that isn't really invested or doesn't really get the rules, like, does that drag down the whole experience? Or is it an experience where you can prop up the people that are also working with you to put down the evil empire? Yeah, so it's definitely one of those games that they like to turn it up to 11 on difficulty. There are ways to turn it down a little bit, but they're still even at the lowest level. It's like you have to definitely have some understanding, I feel like. I feel like I'm like talking like if you have one person that knows the rules of the different factions they can help but but in the end I mean even if you know the factions of the rules like there could just be like it's very much a okay we need to plan this like as a team because like we need someone to take on this boss before they go because how the scoring works is every time you basically kill a bad guy whether it's chaos or emperors um you get victory points well newsflash this is like the first time i've ever heard of this the chaos and empire can fight each other and then they can score those victory points and there's only so many victory points on the board because they've like mathed it out on how many bad guys get released each round so if they're killing each other and you're not doing anything and you're just trying to avoid that you all will lose because you need that every player has to be higher than both bad factions on the victory point total to win so it's like you're really trying to have to figure out how to deal with that and someone usually gets bad rolls and one faction's hurting. So the, the game turns into how can Tom and I help Phoenix or how can yeah. Phoenix and Tom help Adam because the rolls. whatever major bad guy comes in and just kind of craps all over you, yeah. you're like, oh, no, like I need help. And everyone's like, okay, how can we, okay, uh, Phoenix is going to send an army here to divide this guy and, and Tom's going to do here so he can block this off. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of just cool interactions. It's a very... It seems quarterbacky, but it's actually not that quarterbacky just because everyone's so asymmetric and you have so many decisions to make that it's like okay. if there's someone there to help guide you with your faction, that's about all you need, and then you can make your own decisions past that. But And Phoenix, based on what Adam has told us about Uprising, Curse of the Last Emperor, what's your level of interest in it? Because you love cooperative games. I do, yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to look at it. It sounds like it's going to be a little more out of my league a little bit, but again... It's about a 5 out of 10, you know, Tainted Girls probably more for me, but... Um. A 5 out of 10, all right, so <laughs> we are going to pass on Uprising well, Curse I mean, of the Last Emperor. I guess it's one of those things I should look at the board game, look at the pieces, you know, and but at, as long as you're willing to help quarterback me through a first playthrough, it might be a little bit different, you but know. It's so interesting when we play games, because, like, I am an insufferable know-it-all at my core, <laughs> and, like, it doesn't matter if it's with you or with anyone. Like, Adam's had this experience playing Robot Club with me with Burn Cycle. Like, I have no problem telling people what they should do and how they should spend their actions, and I just worry that, like, uh, I'm too bossy when we play games, especially when you're just learning something for the first time. No, you're never too bossy. You're not at all. Do you just say that because you had children with me? No, I'm not. And there's no backsies? There's, like, no way out? No, my learning is more uh, <laughs> uh, playing through watching, you know, instead of reading. I, I, if you give me something to read, I can't learn from that. So having someone help and walk through the steps a few times, it helps me learn a little bit more and more. So. She learns through osmosis, I believe is yeah. the term. Yeah, maybe yeah, something like that. Yeah, but <laughs> well, recapping the list: number five, Hexplore; number four, Tainted Grail; number three, Hoplomachus Victorum; number two, Uprising: Curse of the Last Emperor. Honorable mentions that you want to bring up before we get to your number one fantasy game? Yeah, this will be quick because I feel like we've talked about this game 
enough on this podcast, <laughs> but uh, I put honorable mention as Gloomhaven or Frosthaven. Um, I haven't played Gloomhaven as much as I'd have liked to. And with Frosthaven coming out and people basically saying, if you have Frosthaven, you're never going back to Gloomhaven just because the experience is so much better. So my plan now is, is to play Gloomhaven, finish my Gloomhaven. So I know the story of Gloomhaven kind of on my Steam Deck. Sure. <laughs> so I have the game on Steam, then I can just play on my Steam Deck. And so I can finish the story of Gloomhaven just by myself there and then jump into Frosthaven once I can get back all of my board games from storage once we move, we finish our <laughs> house. So true, yeah. I bet yeah. it's all in storage. Oh, yeah. Yep. So that's been tough. But yeah, that's the honorable mention. So I desperately want to play more Gloomhaven. We have Jaws of the Lion, which we've had for a while. Like yep. the plan is kind of to hold on to it until the kids are old enough to play games. But I don't know if I can wait that long, honey. Mm-hmm. Like we should just dive into you it. You guys should just dive into okay. it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. So. So you. Recap the list one last time. Number five, Hexplore. Number four, Tainted Grail. Number three, Hoplomachus Victorum. Number two, Uprising Crescent, the last Emperor. The number one, Adam, the top fantasy game in your estimation? Yeah, I'm sure this comes as a shocker to anyone who's listened to the previous <laughs> podcast I've been on and talked about, but Too Many Bones. By Chip Theory Games. By Chip Theory Games as my number one and probably would be a very hard fall if anything knocked it off just because i enjoy the experience so much and the world they've created with it and the lore they've put into it and the art and they've spent a lot of time creating something that's just a board game that feels very much like a world that you can go and experience i mean they literally have they call them log books but they're literally lore books talking about the characters you can play mm-hmm. as the bad guys you can put like you encounter and things like that and how they all interconnect in their world so it's like They've taken a lot of time to really kind of nurture that baby um, of of theirs, and so. And if yeah. somebody's going to jump into too many bones, like what is the uh, sticker shock that they should prepare for? Like what's sticker shock? <laughs> are you talking price or are you talking just mental capacity? Because it's kind of both, both on this yeah. one. Yeah. So, sticker shock is it's probably one of my most expensive games I've invested in, just because of the time they've released stuff and the content they've made for it. I think the base game is up to $175 right now to buy if you just want the base stuff, Um, let alone all the character expansions, all the bad guys expansions, all the new campaigns, all the fun little add-on deluxe accessories that I just have to have. Now, I know what I think I remember what you spent on this game. Are you comfortable sharing that figure on the air, what you spent on just uh, Too Many Bones? Yeah. If I'm remembering correctly, just because I try not to think about it that often, I think it's about $1,500. Is that what I told you at the time, I think? I think so. Yeah, so it's it's right in that range. I think right now if you do the all-in Kickstarter where they give you a little bit of a discount, if you buy every Too Many Bones product they have to date, I think it's like Fourteen seventy five is what they sold Oof. it for last. Like okay. that's three PS fives. Yes, that, and that then when is... you put it into perspective like that, it's kind of insane. But when, but if I've it's your collect... favorite game and like if you're getting the mileage out of it, like yeah, I totally get it. Yeah, and and the other thing too is people have to re- remember like right now they're selling the Trove Chest, which is part of that for I think close to two hundred dollars. I got it for seventy five. Oh wow! Because when they first released it. They didn't know how much of a pain it was going to be to ship these things and like the the breakage on them and things like that. And they don't go back and ask for more money like some companies do. I don't know if we've we might get into that on a future podcast. So stay with us for the darkest dungeon thing. But um, next year. But so they've raised prices over time just with inflation and everything like that. So my buy in might not be that large, but that's what they're selling for it right now. If someone were to say, hey, I want everything too many bones. 
you might want to have a small investment <laughs> ready to <laughs> yeah. to invest in that. But it's definitely one of those games where it's like I've bought over time. I've I bought the base game originally and I've gone through the releases year by year, you know, and, and that's a little bit more palatable. But when you go to add it all up, you're like, oof, that's that's well, a lot. Well, talking about price, because I showed you that one that listing I ran across for Lord of the Rings, that mm -hmm. someone in Minnesota is selling their whole complete collection of Lord of the Rings living card game on eBay right now. It, he has everything. And he's selling it for $2,200. And so, I mean... And I said, nope. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's like, I don't think that's the actual cost that he spent probably buying every single expansion. For sure. The little deck expansions and everything. So, I wonder what his sticker price was for all that that he's compiled. You know, I know yeah. he's just trying to get something back for all of it. But... Yeah. He's definitely playing off of the out of print market, it being yes. first edition and then having everything. Yeah. That's definitely... He's got them in cool wooden uh, like suitcases too. Like it's a yeah. very nicely put together package. Like yeah. it looks great, but it's like uh, I'm not paying $2,000 for a board game. Like, yeah. I can card, say that with... Card game at that. <laughs> yeah, I right? can say that with absolute certainty that I will never drop $2,000 on a single game. Well, yeah. what if it's the Final Fantasy card game? If someone had everything... <laughs> I'm already piecing it together, though. I'm good. <laughs> I haven't spent anything on it yet. It's all been gifts. Yes, it's been I awesome. Know, I know. <laughs> well, what do we get wrong? Tweet your thoughts at Tom... Well, don't even tweet your thoughts. I don't look at X anymore. So uh, I guess email the show if you have an issue with Adam's list, and I'll forward it over to him and say, hey, this person thinks that you're an idiot. Overratedpod at gmail.com. That's overratedpod at gmail.com. Um, since you've talked about your top five games, I guess I was just thinking about um, what's your go-to... Um, inbox store or online store to get your games because you know there's so many different places to go card house mini mini miniature mini, miniature market mini, yep. miniature market yep. but here in roseville we have the source or um yep. i don't know what fantasy flight is now it's they don't own that part anymore yeah it's i think it's called the game zenter with a z yeah mm -hmm. i think so yep. yeah yeah so. yep uh definitely so like i'd say probably local store if i'm gonna drive somewhere i need something now yeah i would probably pick the source or tower games are probably my two go-to so tower, games? tower oh gosh good lord let me see um i think it's on like nicolette ave oh okay don't okay Yep, like south of Minneapolis a little bit, if I'm okay. remembering correctly. Um, Hard I'm, pass, I'll stick to the source. <laughs> I'm, I'm, directly, I'm directionally challenged. Yes, no, I, I love the source. That was more where I played War Machine and Horde, so that's where I did a lot of my miniature oh, wargaming okay. at, so that's kind of where I supported them at. Um, and then the source is just like a really good, if, like if you need any board game to go there. But, yeah, I have a lot. <laughs> um, living all the way in Wisconsin um, for me, so... Do they do like inspections at the borders for like board games, or what's it like being a board game <laughs> well, in Wisconsin? Right, so that is where I order from. It's called Boardlandia. Oh, really? And they have awesome prices. Okay. And it's actually a local shop based out of Wausau, Wisconsin, I believe. So, like, it is it is an actual board game store. So, I feel better about supporting it sure. compared to, like, Miniature Market, who I believe is now bought out by Asmodee. So, it's basically just a warehouse at this point um, that they're shipping out. Okay. But, so, Boardlandia has really good, they have deals of the week where they pre-order from a publisher so this is actually i've picked up a lot of the lord or the rings card game mm -hmm. and they'll give it to you for like almost just above cost okay. so like you can buy the the full like 
Angmar Awakened expansion. Plus the like the character packs or whatever, like the the two combos, like in a combo deal for like fifty percent off. Oh, and oh. so it's like so yeah, so like <laughs> In terms of like collecting the new game, yeah. I have no problem because that's what I've been doing actually for okay. it is just waiting for those. And that's what I've also been doing for Arkham LCG as well is I wait for those deals of the week because they put them on a lot from Fantasy Flight. Mm-hmm. They have really good deals of the week and then they have like sales all the time where it's like they're already in the range of probably like 15 to 30% off what is considered retail for board game and then they'll do 10 to 15 percent on top of that sales okay. like almost once a month at this point so you can find some really good deals on there so that's boardlandia.com i'll have to uh, check that out no doubt i'm on the email list for card house which i believe is a local board game shop in albany new york and i don't remember how i first stumbled across them but they'll do some pretty good sales too and like every time they send the like clearance email i'm like honey we gotta buy all this stuff <laughs> yeah. i don't care that our shelves are falling apart i don't care that i have boxes and boxes and boxes just stacked up in there yeah yeah no, yeah. Just, yeah but that's what, that's what's nice about Borlandia is the fact that like they'll mostly most of the time it's not for every case but they'll just be like oh it's an additional 10 percent off every game in our like we own like it's not so like you don't have to go find that deal and like you get like if you have a game you want add it to your wish list wait for a sale then go check it out and it's like oh now i'm getting this for a really good deal and i can justify my purchase better yes (laughs) it's nice (laughs) when you can do that (laughs) yeah that's awesome and speaking of justifying our purchases we close our discussion with the lord of the rings card game by fantasy flight the Lord of the Rings, the card game, is a cooperative card game where you embark on quests in J.R.R. Tolkien's iconic Middle-earth. <laughs> you choose heroes and leverage a deck of allies, events, and attachments to overcome a variety of obstacles. This game originally released in 2011 and is designed by Nate French, who also works on the Arkham Horror of the Card Game and Marvel Champions. Lord of the Rings, the card game, has a Board Game Geek rating of 7.7. The first thing that I want to make abundantly clear is that this is a living card game. First, you buy a base game, then additional content is released over time in expansions. The original business model for Lord of the Rings, the card game, was six, six sets per cycle plus a Saga expansion. Those individual sets were 15 bucks a pop, so you're looking at $90 just to get the six sets of cards each cycle, plus a Saga expansion, which I think is three adventures a bunch of cards, and more heroes. Uh, overall, there's been 10 cycles plus saga expansions for The Hobbit, The Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, and Return of the King. Phoenix, we originally got into this game around 2013, a decade ago. A decade ago we That's bought true. our first packs. Yeah. Do you remember what drew us into Lord of the Rings, the card game in the first place? I think it was you showing up. Here, honey, I got a game. Let's play. Yeah, that sounds like a very uh, <laughs> Tomish introduction to something. Well, it's just you love deck building games. And so I think you saw this. I think you wanted to try a living card game. And it had the components of deck building. And it was cooperative. So... We got it, and we started to play it, and I was a noob, I guess, too, because I, as a kid, I would play your typical life, and I love board games, those typical games, but I hadn't been introduced into... There is a long way from Enchanted Forest to Lord of the Rings, the card game, (laughs) and, like, you call yourself a noob, but, like, thinking of myself, like, I've evolved a lot as a gamer since 2013 to now, like, I've played so many more games and been exposed to so many more mechanics, and while I viewed myself as a card gamer at that time like uh restarting this game now like i definitely have skills that i did not have back then so it's interesting just thinking back to uh that period adam you jumped in with the recent reprinting what caught your attention about lord of the rings the card game yep so 
obviously lord of the rings is a awesome ip i don't know if you'll find too many people to like argue against that um the two tower movies was rubbish but outside of that sure right but the, the ip in general tom it's, it's a good ip so um but, return of the king was all right okay okay i'm not talking about individual movies tom um so yeah so big lord of the rings fan um i heard really good things about the the fantasy flight lcgs so like the lord of the rings was kind of their first cooperative one then they did arkham you know and now they're on marvel champions which i know you and joe have played a lot of um i i like marvel i'm not going to try to get hate because i know like if i say anything too drastic on this podcast tom's gonna get a lot of emails so (laughs) um i am more of a dc fan big batman fan but i i definitely like with joe owning a ton of the marvel stuff already it was like well if i ever want to i know if i just say like hey joe i would like to play marvel champions he'd be like okay when what time where and like it's super handy he shows up he's like here's your deck here's how you play it it's like so i can get (laughs) that flavor but i still wanted to kind of like scratch that itch of well do i get arkham because arkham was actually kind of like my gateway game into like hard i don't know if i can hardcore gaming we'll just call it hardcore gaming so i played arkham horror third edition as like my first game and i'm like oh yeah i have this super big complicated game where do you like you kind of see the origin of where i've come from now (laughs) on like what i think is fun for games but um so arkham horror was a big thing and then obviously just the lord of the rings content was awesome and then at the time i was super excited about the rings of power amazon show Fantasy Flight was super smart, and they started releasing information just before the show got released of, hey, we're reprinting Lord of the Rings uh, game, and everyone's, like, getting all excited about it. They haven't changed anything. The rules haven't changed. The cards haven't changed. They haven't created anything new for it. They're just literally reprinting and repacking it. Mm. And Um, counting the money. (laughs) And that's where it's like, well, here's my opportunity, because it was out of print. And then also, you know, you get that little bit of FOMO where it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, this game was out of print, but now we're repacking it and remaking it. So here's your opportunity. And you're like, well, I should start buying it so I don't miss out on it this time around. So that's kind of all of the different itches at once getting into why I now have the core set and a decent amount of the expansions (laughs) re-released. Stupid FOMO. (laughs) There are some core mechanics that people need to understand for this discussion. First, there are four disciplines that all the cards fall into. Spirit, tactics, leadership, and lore. All the cards are divided between these four disciplines and each one has a specific color and focus tactics is red it focuses on allies and attachments for fighting the bad guys spirit is blue it focuses on willpower exploration and mitigating treachery leadership is purple and it focuses on holding aggro and lore is green for healing and for being mocked by your friends (laughs) each school has different heroes they have unique stats a special ability and a threat level For example, Legolas is a tactics hero. When he helps defeat an enemy, he contributes to the current quest or location. Aragorn is purple. He can go on a quest and then spend a resource to also fight. Uh, The basic turn structure, you get resources. You flip pages and go, oh my god, where's my next thought? You you buy cards, you go on quests, then you reveal enemies, you fight, and then you repeat. Generally speaking, a hero can only participate in one thing per turn. They can either go questing or they can go fighting. If you commit Denethor to a quest, you use his willpower for the quest, but then he's not available to either defend or make attacks. If you hold Gimli back from questing to potentially fight and no enemies appear, then you've wasted an activation. So there's a very tight balancing act in how you're going to commit your different characters to things. 
When you're actually fighting, the enemies attack first. You choose an enemy, then you choose which one of your characters will defend against that attack, and then you reveal an extra card that can modify that bad guy's attack. If you defend with your veteran axe hand, for example, then they can't attack. Their entire activation is spent just on defending. Once every enemy is attacked, any unused heroes can then attack the enemies. Finally, there is a threat mechanic. Threat represents the perils stacked against you and your heroes. If a player ever reaches 50 threat, they are out of the game. It goes up one each turn, and then if you fail in the questing phase, uh, your threat goes up by the number that you fail by. Each game you choose a scenario to complete, a card will give some flavor and explain the setup conditions, and then you flip it over and it shows the victory conditions. If you complete that phase, you move on to the next card until you've completed all of the cards in that scenario and you celebrate your victory. Super easy. Yeah, super easy. <laughs> uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about with Lord of the Rings, the living card game. Adam, this was a completely fresh and new experience for you. Your first impressions jumping into Lord of the Rings, the card game. Yeah, I really enjoy the experience. Um, I'm happy it's co-op, but still like gives that like deck building experience that you can have. Um, you know, magic was also kind of one of my like gateway games into gaming. I think like a lot of gamers, you know, have experienced magic cause it's been around for so long. I like deck building and magic, but I just like the constant release of sets and then like having to buy booster after booster after booster is like frustrating to me like I, I like the nostalgia of opening boosters but i don't like the cost associated with that <laughs> so for me a living card game i think is that that perfect balance because it's like oh i know i just have to buy this expansion yeah it could be kind of expensive but like if you think about it it's the equivalent to one kind of booster box uh, of a magic set right and then you know you have every single card though sure, so now yeah. now i can customize within what they've designed the design space they have of the scenarios of okay here's my options how can i tinker this how can i make this work um and yeah each scenario kind of for me boils down to a puzzle mm -hmm. and, and figuring out that puzzle is kind of what's the excitement or fun for me is yeah. getting that challenge and i agree harder i agree and when you walk into a scenario for the first time like i truly believe that you're gonna lose like you're gonna lose the first time you play any of these scenarios but you have to jump in you have to like find out how that works then you can come back the next time with a deck like tailored to that experience is that a fun experience for you knowing that you're just going to lose the first time through? Yeah, I mean, I, I think part of it is like for me, it's like, okay, like you learn the scenarios and, and you you get better just from like the knowledge that you have gained, which is kind of like a real life parallel, right? Mm -hmm. Like hindsight's twenty twenty is what they <laughs> yes. say, right? So, so once you learn, but for me too, it's kind of like, uh, okay, so I'm going to build it for the scenario, but I'm going to throw in these couple other cards because I want to see then for the next one if i can just make this work right so it's like can i find almost that master key and i know the master key doesn't work from what i've read online of doing research into some of this but for me it's like well how far can i take this master key how many doors is this one gonna unlock kind of type mm -hmm. thing um or like okay if it's not quite perfect what little tweaks can i make before i just completely pick new characters or pick yeah. you know like completely wash the whole board but yeah for me I enjoy it because then I'm like, I'm getting that sense of like, oh, building a new magic deck. It's a new, you know, a new character deck. It's like a fresh idea. 
and I'm I'm working towards this scenario. It's not just of like, okay, what can I kind of pull out of the air and, and put into a deck and make it work? It's I'm working towards this objective. Yeah. So Adam doesn't get frustrated by failure. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Phoenix, failure is just a learning opportunity, Tom. <laughs> Phoenix, we started playing this game a decade ago. We really enjoyed it. We bought the entire first set of expansions, and then we fell off when we started making babies. And now we're coming back to it. What's your second first impression of Lord of the Rings, the card game? Um... I'm really enjoying it. Uh, my gaming has evolved, and so I'm starting to understand the pieces a little bit better. Um, it's not quite dyslexia, but I have a um, maybe it's insecurity or anxiety when I'm looking at cards, trying to read and understand what the card does. And so it takes me a little bit of time to understand what the cards do. Like watching you and Adam and Joey, you guys can just piece together all these cards to work masterly real quick where it's like I'm trying to think ahead like am I reading this right can it work but and my confidence is coming together as we've been playing it more I've been enjoying it and like Adam talks about the puzzle it's like we failed it okay there's a lot of locations okay my deck I need to figure out hopefully the trackers will come out which the tracker card allows us to put progress tokens on uh, locations in the staging area and so but then there's other scenarios where it's all like villain um not villains i guess um yeah villains are good word the enemies coming out and it's like the spirit deck doesn't do very well to fight them but we need the spirit deck in ways to help with the willpower because because otherwise deck, we're not questing yeah the questing doesn't work without the spirit deck because of the willpower so well, I enjoyed the puzzle piecing and trying to figure out what will work. Like Adam was talking about the tinkering, the, you know, trying to understand everything. To, will this work? But then also it's like a game of chance when you shuffle your deck. My tracker could be way at the bottom and it never comes out and then we're kind of... And if he is, then we're just going to lose and yeah. that's just the way the game goes. <laughs> yeah, so. Well, let's poke at your insecurity for just a minute. If you don't mind me taking something that you're insecure about and putting it out for the entire world to listen and dissect. You are motivated by not wanting to make a mistake and look bad. Like yep. You're very sensitive to not wanting to make a mistake and being criticized yep. for that. How did your confidence grow with this game? Was it mostly through repetition? Was it through expanding from just playing with me to playing with other players, which I know was a big step for you? Yeah, it was. <laughs> uh, so like, how, how did you grow and how did we foster that confidence that you have now that you were able to jump into Murder at the Prancing Pony with Joey last night and be the major contributor? I guess... Um... With you, you're um, just telling me to, you know, relax. It's not going to matter. No one's really going to. It's just letting go of that piece. No one really is going to, you know, you're going to help, not, you know. And I don't think that you're alone in, like, not wanting to make a mistake and not wanting to be criticized. Like, I'm sure that there are a lot of uh, core gamers out there that want to share an experience like this with partners. And, like, hey, you're very brave for doing it because this is... This is a hard game. This is a very involved is, game with yeah. a lot of nuance to it. And it's been awesome for me watching you grow in just your comfortability with it. Yeah, I guess the keep doing it over and over again. I get familiar with the cards. And that's why it's kind of hard for me to let go of the spirit deck. Because it's like I'm finally starting to understand what each card does. But uh, the purple deck, the leadership deck, the one time I did play it, it it went better than I thought it would because of being able to play the scenarios over and over again to understand and try to comprehend what the card is saying because 
like you guys have always run into vagueness of rules, vagueness of how they how they write things. You, you got know. a great picture of Adam and I both <laughs> referencing the rule books as we were trying to look something up. Yeah, it's just I know that's part of gaming is trying to interpret it the way it's said because you know there's so much ambiguity sometimes with games, and I guess that's taps into my insecurities. It's like I just don't want to. Um, the ambiguity get it wrong I guess but again repetition helped a lot I guess building my own deck a little bit helped me and this is the first time like you built your own deck for anything like this and like you took all the blue spirit cards like we originally had multicolor decks yeah. and uh, we got our butts kicks so we're like well maybe we need to do single color and that also set us up for four players so each player had their own yeah, yeah. discipline but you took all the blue cards you made your own deck what were some of the highs and lows of that experience um I'm still having a hard time knowing how to synergize the spirit deck because there's a lot of pieces that help with willpower and threat. But the Rohan, which is part of that spirit deck, it I can't figure out how to synergize those cards together very well. So a lot of times I'm discarding them to increase the willpower of Eowyn. So, um, you know, I'm still a learning curve for me, but... It, it helped. I mean, it helped for me to actually try to sit down and think about it. If I could do four steps out in a pretend scenario in my head where watching you guys, you guys can be like five or six steps ahead. You, know? you give us way too much. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, <laughs> we're maybe like a half a step ahead just making it look good. But I just, I, you did a fantastic job, by the way. Oh, I don't, th- I don't think... You know, I think a lot of people are actually from, you know, that same feeling, that same area. And I think that, like, same thing with my wife, Nicole. Not a gamer. She tries to play games with me if she can. Mm-hmm. Problem with her is she's so darn competitive. She doesn't want to play co-op uh, games. I'm like, come sure. on, Nicole. Co-op games would be awesome because I can. So I maybe am weird. It's like, yeah, not only do I like the puzzle of the game, but I love bringing on new people to teach board games. Mm-hmm. Like You and Burns are both phenomenal facilitators, and I and love that about like, you guys. Because part of that, too, is watching the gears click in people's head <laughs> for me is also just as exciting to be able to teach people those games and things like that i mean i've been asked to come teach at gen con like twilight imperium and like huge games like that just to people who are just like signing up off of a whim because they want to learn it Mm -hmm. i enjoy thoroughly watching and teaching people board games Mm -hmm. because i think board games are amazing uh just in today's virtual world of bringing people together so like also Mm -hmm. seeing that click in people's minds is awesome so that's what i've love about this game in ways is like um like you were talking about it's just the storytelling whoever designed this game is just the replayability and just figuring out how it would work with two players four players and single player the game is very hard but it allows us to challenge ourselves to um and that's what i love about board games ones that are cleverly done which i've talked about before especially co-op games where you play against the game trying mm-hmm. you have to design it in a way where it's not too hard so that people will come back to play it and not too easy that people are like done with it so yeah props to nate french the designer um what disciplines did we enjoy playing phoenix we talked about you with the blue deck with the spirit deck adam which was your favorite of the disciplines oh yeah i think i have to go with my agro purple uh (laughs) i think i harnessed that really well in our playthrough so i like leadership which is purple and i think maybe where that stems from too is that's the the trait they they kind of 
push you towards in solo play as well so okay. that was kind of my first experience as well so you know kind of find what you're comfortable with you go with it um i i do eventually branch out a little bit i also do really like spirit but if i had to just pick one i probably right now would pick the the leadership purple for the solo play um do they want you to have mixed decks to um they definitely promote it um and i think like I was telling Tom, I think just before we started recording with that, I kind of actually like to play two-handed. So I almost play two decks at once oh, okay. because if you play solo and, and it is actually one of the highest rated solo games, actually. Oh, really? um, but by, by playing true solo is what some would call it, where I am just playing one deck, one hand, um, you miss out on things like the range attacks and Sentinel. You can't fully utilize all the cards to their full potential. So that's where I think two players really shines or mm-hmm. one player playing by himself and then, you know, running from one end of the table to the back. I don't actually do that. I just have them by side by side. But, um, but I think two players is awesome because it shows all that. But yes, they very much promote mixing, like okay. not having just a solo like color deck. You can do it, obviously. Yeah. That's how they set you up in the tutorial. Um, but I think kind of two players at two colored decks. So you pick two different traits is kind of where it shines really well because you get too many, I mean, triple colored decks are fun, but you are very susceptible to, I didn't draw the right cards. Like you're way more susceptible to that RNG than if you have just like two that you're just bouncing off of. And then the piece about mixing the two classes together into one deck, I know like the resource tokens, it's like how many heroes do you have out because that resource token on that hero, if you want to spend for a card, it has to match the color of the card, right? Mm -hmm. So if you only have one purple hero and two blue heroes, you're kind of... That resource mechanic, I just wish you could have more resources that come out, but... I guess I would that would be a little bit of a challenge too is just yep. making sure you have enough resources coming out to pay for those cards. Yep. And where where I've learned with that actually is there's cards that allow you to add traits to people. That's true. So I then right that, there yeah. that's where you make sure you have one of those in and now yeah. it's like okay I I only had one let's say I had two purple and one blue there's a there's a card that you know you can switch a, a leadership card to a, a blue spirit card True. or included in so now it's like now i'm kind of like two and two or one and a half and one and a half okay, so yeah. there's ways to kind of manipulate that to your advantage as I forget, well yeah because i guess i haven't run into a lot of those cards but I've right. well we stripped them all out when we yeah. went to single color we had yeah. them in the decks originally that's true yeah but, but i guess going if we go back to it i guess it would be interesting for us to try to build our decks mixed and try doing it that way but I guess for the heroes themselves, when you did a solo play, was it easier with the three uh, heroes out or two? Yeah, I, I after I've played more, I really believe in the three. Oh, really? Even with the threat uh, level? With the higher threat, yeah. Just because you're just generating so many more resources okay. that you're but, able to allowed to get more cards out. But there's the secrecy mechanic, and that only works if your threat is below 20, <clears throat> which is hard enough to do with two heroes. Yeah, and I mean, if you want to play to that, I mean, that's... That's I was gonna. Fine. Um, I, I was gonna try a single player, single hero playthrough with just uh, Bilbo. So I was drawing an extra card every turn, but I never got around yeah, to it. And, and you know, I haven't explored that that much. Mm-hmm. And part of it's like I've done some research yeah. online because that's just how I operate with things. But I also don't want to ruin the fun of finding out the puzzle. So it's sure, like I'm yeah. very limited on what I look and do. So in terms of the secret, and like I guarantee you, there's like crazy one hero <laughs> strategies or two hero strategies that uh, play into that yeah i just haven't explored that venue of the game 
but that's what's exciting about it is just that mileage you get out of a game that's so simple with just cards yeah. can be so complex and exciting still. Well, I guess that's the thing. I was like, what last night too, playing with Joey, the so when we play, we have the three heroes and we have to add up the threat, and that's where we start. And which with each cycle, we have to flip the threat higher and higher. But I know with two heroes, it's nice to be at that lower threat, but again that resource not getting enough resources to pay for cards but it's just you found the higher threat wasn't too much of a hindrance typically not i mean if you pick all of the highest like threat heroes and you're starting at like 35 you're kind of like well what did i do to myself (laughs) but like if you combo like if you are like if you're thinking about it a little bit and you're like okay this is this person is higher threat so i want to probably find a little bit lower threats here like Mm -hmm. you kind of pick that one or two card and then build around that is what I've been finding for myself anyways. So it's like, yeah, but for the most part for me personally and my play style, which can be different than everyone else's, that's totally fine. I found the three heroes is where I like to sit with playing because I don't feel as strapped for resources as I do with two. Yeah. And your preference? Uh, I'm still undecided. Like when we were playing with four players, I think we started with two heroes Got our butts kicked, played with three heroes, and I love the resource generation. Yeah. Last night we were playing Murder at the Prancing Pony. We tried it with three heroes, too much threat. We got our butts kicked, so we yeah. tried it with two heroes. Got our butts kicked, but it took longer. It did take longer. <laughs> so, I don't know. I haven't quite found the sweet spot yet, and that's why I was so interested in playing a single-player, single-hero okay. uh, adventure, just to see what that experience was like. Yeah. It's an interesting, like, again, a puzzle mechanic, what works best for this scenario. Yeah. Right. Malfini, what were some of your favorite uh, cards and tactics that you used in this game to overcome the different scenarios that we played? Because we played 13 games to prep for the show. Um, Adam, do you want to guess how many out of those? Thir- oh, we already, I already did that exercise. With <laughs> I can <you>. act surprised. <laughs> I, can, I can give you the same answer I gave before we started recording. Yeah. I we, said the one that you played with Joe and I, right? <laughs> well, we went one and one with you and Burns. Uh, we won three out of 13 scenarios. And that was with yeah. already knowing what was coming in the journey through Mirkwood. Yeah. Um, so... This is a hard game, but what were some of the things that you did to try to combat our challenges? Um, I guess making sure I have enough cards for willpower, trying to utilize some of my Rohan cards for that. Um, Again, hopefully drawing the right cards to be able to throw out a Rohan character with the high willpower. And you needed the willpower desperately because I played a lot of games with the red deck, which has very, very little willpower. And even when I did have willpower, I wanted to hold those heroes back for fighting. So like you were basically our quester forever yeah so you were the fighter i was the quester so just trying to get those uh, enough cards out so that we can pass the threat and quest um uh, successfully so that we can proceed to the next step um the trackers were great i have one tracker that does active token tokens on the active location and then i have a tracker that does every location in the staging area which, which is a godsend because yes. these locations just pile up and like yeah. being able to chip away at them without having to uh, quest for every single one of them honestly i don't know how you beat any of these scenarios without those trackers and then there's one character i liked a lot um i couldn't butcher the name but done here or um he's the dude who attacks up in the staging area yeah he's nice because i don't have a fighter a lot of fighters in my deck and with him, he can at least try to ding people up in the staging area to help before they get to you so that you don't have to try to keep fighting them over and over again. So that was kind of nice, and I like that mechanic. 
And I guess the other hero that I play with with canceling treachery was nice for us. Do you remember her name or do we just call her Treachery Lady? Treachery Lady, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Old it Treachery works. Lady. We She's... all know what we're talking about. <laughs> well, Adam, you liked an expensive card, the colorless Gandalf. What yep. does Gandalf do and what uh, drew you to him? Oh, gosh. I think it's like you can draw three cards. You can deal like four damage to any enemy. And there's one other trait. And, and like... For me, the versatility of that is so important because it's like a draw cards is is like super powerful from as I've been playing more. Uh, I feel like drawing card generator is like a strong thing because then you can get the cards you need in mm. certain scenarios. But also just to be able to place like mega damage out on the board is like super important if you're trying to like knock down a really bad boss or like deal with someone that's not very fun to deal with just being able to throw that out but like you said he's very expensive so it, it's definitely like a high cost high reward type well, situation he costs five if you're playing with three heroes you're generating three resources a turn so it's mm-hmm. basically two turns of resource generation to summon gandalf and he lasts for one turn he pops in yep. he does a big thing and then he's out of there yep but really if you have also resource generation on so if you add like there's a Another card I called out in some of my favorites was like the Steward of Gondor, which is a purple card. Um, you get to generate two extra resources on whatever hero that's on. So it's like right there, it's like, boom, if you have three heroes, you can actually Gandalf in one turn. And yeah, that's expensive, but that's kind of where the combos come in is just realizing like, okay, this guy is expensive. How do I set myself up for that? That's not crippling as well. My, uh, my favorite card, my favorite card, my favorite yes. thing to do in this game is a similar mechanic to the steward of Gondor. It's a resource generator. I believe it's the horn of Gondor. You attach it to a hero. And then anytime a character leaves play, that hero gets a resource. So I would always strap it on Legolas. And even without prompting him, Burns did the same thing. <laughs> we always put the horn of Gondor on Legolas. So every time someone dies, Legolas would eat their bodies and get a resource resource and it just amused me to no end well he's he's good to attach it to because he's got ranged right if i'm remembering that correctly so yep. you're usually using him to shoot all the bad guys down anyway so it's kind of yeah. like you know a little reward for the guy who's doing all the work i guess yes. right <laughs> yeah just picture orlando bloom eating all the bodies it's, <laughs> it's great i was also a big fan of the gondorian spearman who is a cheap uh ally in the red or tactics deck uh, their shtick is they go out for cheap, and every time you declare them as a defender, they do one damage to the attacker. Uh, so they generally die on that first attack, but at least you get something against that enemy, and that was a tactic that I relied on a lot. Uh, Adam, there's something with green that you like, the yeah. Dark Knowledge card. Yeah, so I, as I've been playing more, um, I'm, I'm realizing like there are opportunities where, unless you're playing hardcore campaign mode... Um, the damage at the end of the 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 scenario, if you've won, doesn't matter, right? So like it's it's so the basically same. you just need one body surviving. Right. Like, out of our three wins, we had at least one that was yep. one hero remaining. So it's kind of like the joke about like, oh, what do you call doctors that you know get C's in school, and everyone's like, what? And you're like, a doctor, right? Like it doesn't matter <laughs> at the end of the day, right? So it's like, so for me, it's all about how to find ways to kind of like most cost efficiently get through the scenario so dark knowledge is a one resource cost so almost as cheap as you can get um and it allows you to look at a shadow card dealt to you for uh when you attach it to someone it's minus one willpower is what it is so if you have someone that you're tapping that you have in green a lot for other things besides questing maybe or you know if they're a healer or whatever it's not that big of a cost really like you find someone who's not using their willpower anyways Mm -hmm. um 
but the big thing is then it's like almost every turn you have the availability to look at a shadow card dealt to you so when you're playing it's super important because i found at times you're like well if i don't block this attack i could really set myself up good for the next turn and it's, and it's fine that i'll take you know a couple damage but what is that shadow card because if those shadow cards go unblocked yeah. they get really nasty so by being able to just take a peek at a shadow card being like if i don't block this guy is this going to be okay and then being able to reassure yourself that it is it can really catapult you further in some of the scenarios yeah i've lost multiple heroes to gambling on the shadow cards so and then i guess just because i've i've had to dabble in all the colors i tried calling out actually one card per color that i really liked here Mm -hmm. so we already talked about gandalf being colorless we talked about dark knowledge as a green card and we talked about the steward of gondor being purple um one card i really really like is thalen he's a red hero and what i love about him is i have no hesitation to committing him to the quest every single time because his uh hero ability is when a enemy comes out he auto deals one damage every enemy dealt out that time so it's like it's fun because you're like oh i'm contributing to the willpower or the the quest while also damaging anyone that comes out so you kind of feel like you're dual purposing and when you feel like you can do that when you have like one of three options well let's just say four with character abilities sometimes options your hero your hero can do you're kind of like well if i'm getting two that feels like i'm cheating so (laughs) it's just a good feeling for me and then uh, i know you mentioned aowen and one epiphany moment i had when researching just some of her is we utilized her at first and i even did this in my solo playthroughs a couple times until i i read a little bit i'm like hang on a second so we always did it to where before we quested we would commit our cards yeah well it's an action so you can actually use that action after you flipped out the cards so now instead of us like over committing or committing and not knowing how many cards we actually have to discard what you can do i found out just like last night actually is what it was um was that you can actually wait to see what comes out in the staging area and then decide if you need to discard any to either get it up to that threshold to meet it or like oh we only need one person to actually discard to fulfill this quest so our accidental over questing could have been mitigated to some degree a little bit interesting yeah Yeah. so like you that's the hard thing i found with this game is those actions when do you do it in every action phase yeah um and it just comes with experience of playing Mm -hmm. the cards over and over and over again or like thinking about it in a different way and that's also something awesome about gaming is everyone always seems to approach problems in the same direction they come from Mm -hmm. and when you start gaming with others you start realizing oh phoenix thinks differently than i do or tom well, Tom's just aggressive, so he's always coming from that. From, from Push that the pace, aspect. man. Yeah. So, so it's that's also like another fun thing for me is just not only like figuring out the puzzle and not only like seeing the epiphany in everyone's minds that you're teaching, but also just like the epiphany of each individual card of figuring mm-hmm. out how can I best utilize this to my advantage as well. Yeah. So, in the sets that you bought, Adam, do you have many dwarves? Yes, I I bought a whole Dwarven expansion oh. faction thing. I haven't cracked it open yet, though. But I also have the Riders of Rohan, so I feel like I need to open those both with you guys. We'll do the <laughs> Rohan with Phoenix, and we'll oh, do sure, the Dwarves yeah. with Tom. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting, because in the base game, there weren't a lot of Dwarves, but the whole first cycle introduced a lot of Dwarves and Dwarf mechanics, and then the first Saga expansion, I believe, was Kaza Doom, which is all Dwarf-focused. So they have Dwarves of all colors, and... Seeing that as I was building these decks, I'm like, all right, well, we're going to play four players, so I'm going to put all the dwarves in and all the dwarf stuff that I can possibly find. So we've had very dwarf-heavy experiences to this point. Yeah. I was just curious with the reprints if that was 
still the case. Yep, one yeah. of the first like deck expansions. They so they released the core set and then they released like sub like faction. They didn't do this. They only did it for the the core set. They haven't done it with the the new saga expansions and things like that. But they released I think four specific stylized um character like deck building expansion mm-hmm. so there's like i know there's gondor there's dwarves i want to say there's elves and then there's the rohan as well so we don't have very many elves um, no we didn't filter a lot in there's some elves in the uh green deck i, I don't think we have a lot of gondor either we have some but no. there's some there's some gondor in the red okay but yeah there's a lot of eagles that we're not using because I don't want to build a creature deck. <laughs> well, we've talked about the tools that we've used to overcome the challenges. Let's spend a little bit of time talking about our favorite scenarios and mechanics that we've had to overcome. And then once we've talked about that, Adam, I want to talk about the campaign a little bit and how they mm-hmm. string things together. Phoenix, your favorite scenario in Lord of the Rings, the card game. Just one we win. <laughs> well, those seem to be very few and far between. <laughs> We had three wins. Two of them came in uh, Journey Through Mirkwood, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then we also beat Journey Down the Anduin one time. Just one time, yeah. But it'd be nice to try to beat the troll one. I guess that would be next on my list. Is I can't remember what it's called. but the That was that... Conflict at the Carrick in the first cycle. Uh, I think it was the second expansion that was released. Yeah. It'd be nice to beat that one because that one's definitely difficult and it'd be nice to notch that off. I mean, the murder at the Parenting Pony would be fun, but I just, right now, I can't see how we could defeat it with the decks we have. Yeah, it's really hard. And, like, each scenario is so different and interesting, at least through the ones that we played. And we played, looks like, six different scenarios in our 13 playthroughs. Uh, Using Journey Down the Anduin as an example, that is the second scenario that's included with the base game. There's three phases to it, and in the second phase, the enemies... Generally speaking, in Lord of the Rings, the card game, enemies will come out and attack the players each turn. In the second phase of this one, enemies don't come out unless you choose to have them come out and attack you. So they kind of pile up in the staging area, which seems like, great, we're not getting pummeled. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Then you complete the second phase. You move on to the third phase. Then you move on to the third phase, and all of those enemies bum rush you at once. And if you don't have enough, like, allies and things set up, or if you haven't mitigated those enemies at all, like, that's the final gauntlet of that scenario is just all the enemies you let pile up. It's like the chickens come home to roost, and, like, do you have the firepower to withstand it? That's a scenario we won the second time we played it, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think that was one we won with one hero left standing. Like, your entire side got wiped out and bought me just enough time to finish the fighting off. (laughs) It's a good campaign. It's one of those that you play once, you fail, and then you have to like reshuffle and think about how you want to play that. And so it it was a fun campaign. It was a little difficult losing the first time, but at least we won with one hero hanging on. <laughs> yeah, hey, it's a results-oriented game, and that was a W. Yeah. Adam, your favorite scenario that you've played through so far yet? Has one stood out to you? No, I feel like I need to play more before I'm like that's my jam but i i also don't know if one will specifically kind of like now that we've been talking through it because it's kind of like like i said each individual puzzle right Mm -hmm. so for me it's kind of like well right now um and i know you said you were going to talk about the campaign a little bit so right now for me a lot of it's just like okay i'm going to play this scenario and kind of learn this this scenario right so it's like playing through those individual puzzles um i'll tell you how that changes with the campaign a little bit for replayability but 
not one does i don't think one really stands out to me it's just like oh i it's like you know you'll have a stack of puzzles in your house you you, yes you might not say oh that is my favorite one right so that's kind of how i feel i guess is like they're all kind of fun in their own way i haven't found one i've like absolutely hated yet but yeah we still might find one i guess yeah yeah. (laughs) we have a uh, blue green yoda puzzle feeny how did you feel about that puzzle (laughs) Difficult. I wish you had chosen one that wasn't. <laughs> yeah, that one eventually just had to go back in the box. Uh, one that we, one scenario that we played together that I thought had another interesting hook was the hunt for Gollum. You're looking for clues of Gollum, and we were playing four player, and we really piled up a lot of willpower. So like we're questing like mad, and that seems yeah. great, right? And the second phase, we find one clue for Gollum. It's like all right, well we way over quested this. We trigger the final phase. It's like oh. <laughs> we gave the clue to one of Burns's heroes. Burns doesn't have any questing ability because he's the red deck, the tactics deck. And in that final phase, you can only quest if you have a clue. And it's like, oh, well, okay, well, we're borked. Game over. <laughs> we played it out. We lost. We tried it again, even knowing that hook. Like, we still couldn't overcome that in our second playthrough in the Hunt for Gollum. And I just thought yeah. the the scenarios are very different. And it's just, it's interesting how they can surprise you with the different tactics maybe the new aon mechanic that True, i just taught yeah. you guys you yeah. can use as a trick to you kind of have long stuff to sandbag the questing but have it just right, right to get yeah. those golem clues but and i guess that just talking about that scenario it's like you know you hear the term living card game it's you know when he first told me it's called a living card game I'm like how is it called a living card game Cause well just like living, in, you know, it just... infests your bank account and it just keeps <laughs> eating forever but it's just you know just talking about the scenarios and how you know you get a certain set of cards but they fit together again using the word puzzles for each scenario a different way and so this whole game thrives and changes and evolves with the cards and I guess I just wanted to say it's just the genius of this game, how the replayability, because the chances of cards coming out when they come out and everything, you know, it is basically like reading a book, but you're playing it in ways. So, All right. Adam, tell us about the campaign, because that is a mechanic that's not in the original base game that we have or in the first cycle of cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the campaign, um, gosh, I'm going to, it's, Something to Mirkwood or something is the first one, I believe. Uh, Journey through Mirkwood. Maybe, right? yeah. I No, it's Journey like, I came with... so unprepared with like the specific <laughs> scenario names like you have written down and stuff like that, but like I promise I played the game. Um no, but the campaign comes with like specific kind of campaign modes then. And what it does is it makes you play through a set of scenarios that kind of escalate but what's cool is then it adds like a mechanic so the first one i have you get an elf a free hero elf neutral color so you can use you know it for whatever you really need but it actually has like quest completing triggers then so it's like tied into the campaign um and then what's interesting is there's like benefits so like there's boons and burdens um that also at- attached to the campaign. So when like you complete, um, what's that first one we played that we did just fine? Not it's the passage through Mirkwood. Yeah. So that, that is the intro scenario to this, this campaign. Um, 
And so when, depending on which final card you pick, because that's random, it actually gives you a different burden then that you're now trying to deal with if a certain thing triggers in the next following scenarios, mm -hmm. something bad is happening to you. But at the same time, it also gives you two neutral colors tied to that hero that's part of the campaign that you can then trigger cool abilities off of that give you a bonus. Mm -hmm. So you get kind of like one negative, and then depending on the number of players, you each get to add a card to your deck. So if you're playing two-handed, you get two boons for the one burden after completing a scenario it sounds like it makes the game more complicated which is just what <laughs> lord of the rings the card game means yeah just what i like though right <laughs> so um and then the other co the cool thing is is like well i don't know if it's cool or not it's very thematic but if a hero dies in the campaign then you have to write that hero's name down you can't use any hero so like sometimes they'll have different versions of gimli or whatever you can't use any gimli hero from there on out because according to your campaign gimli is dead Oh, wow. And then um, if that happens, and then you have to pick a new hero, if one of your heroes died and you have to sub in a new hero, you, no matter what, for every single scenario and no matter what heroes you have, you get plus one permanent threat to start each scenario past that. Now, let's say Tom is like, oh, I really hate my green deck. And he's like, I want a different hero. He's mm -hmm. now putting a plus one permanent threat on everyone in the party. Mm -hmm. So if you willingly swap out a hero into the into your party, everyone gains a plus one threat. So not only like do you have this like building like scenario situation, you also then have this permanent threat kind of like in in the movies like as the ring gets closer stuff escalates yeah. and you just have more threat and it just becomes harder and harder and harder as well and then frodo fails us all yep. <laughs> yep. freaking frodo that sounds really interesting let's move on to some of the highs and lows from this experience adam the highest high of this game for you for me i know i know the game was like designed for two players and it's like a top rated solo game and i know we've played it at four players and i know you guys have played it at three as well and the cool thing with this game is every experience is positive yeah. right so like this game truly shines in my opinion in the fact that like some games are like oh you should really just play this at three a fourth player adds two hours onto the game or whatever sure. it is this is like no if i'm playing by myself it's just fine if I'm just playing with my, you know, significant other, it's just fine. Mm -hmm. If I'm playing with my group of buddies, guess what? It's just fine. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's cool that you can play with no matter what player count and you're not yeah. losing any sort of experience. The only caveat to that might be solo with the, like, the ranged and the sentinel and stuff like that. But sure. you can get around that by playing two-handed, I guess. So, yeah. For me, my favorite experience was playing with four players with each of us having our own color. I love that. Feeny, what was your favorite experience player count wise player count wise um yeah i guess i really enjoyed the four player because it was fun to just be able to all work together to achieve this um adam kept needling me for not healing anything <laughs> how did you feel about that um but it it was nice because you know having all the colors out having everyone work their certain deck together you know two player it it works well I enjoy it, but yeah, I guess having the four just add a little bit more to the plane. Was it nice having like other people for me to boss around instead of just you? Or <laughs> <laughs> no. What was your favorite aspect of the game? The highest high for you, Phoenix. The highest high, um. Or maybe it's a low high. I don't know. <laughs> well, to me, uh, 
it's a high and a low in ways because you can get very frustrated is how hard the game is. I enjoy the complexity and how hard it can be because then it drives you to, you know, be cl more clever. Just drives you to do a little bit better with your decks and stuff and figure out the puzzle. And then the low part is it is hard, and it's like, oh, we lost again. Do we really want to go through it again? <laughs> you know? Well, we use Conflict at the Carrick as an example. That's the one where you fight four big trolls in the final phase yeah. of it. The first time we played that, you got knocked out on turn two, and I got yeah. knocked out on turn three, and that was just not fun. No. Just wasn't fun. But we played that one again. We knocked out one of the four trolls. We got a lot closer, and that was like a higher experience. So yes. it, it can really fluctuate. And that was a difficulty seven scenario we played another difficulty seven scenario that was the uh escape from dolgulder which is in the <laughs> dolgulder i'm sure i butchered that <clears throat> but that's in the base game we played that once i'm like all right let's watch a movie yeah <laughs> <coughs> you did not like that one at all <laughs> no so i agree that they that it's hard and that is both a uh, high and a low i really enjoyed choosing the heroes and tinkering with the decks like i tried to mix it up with heroes but some of them just didn't seem as useful like there's a uh, i think a green and a red hero that if they're both on the table they both get a benefit but it's like uh with our single color decks unless burns chose that one red hero it's like well i'm just never gonna use this green one yeah. last night i finally used Treebeard in the green deck and like i literally never fought a thing with them no, you don't. it's like oh well awesome i'm glad i have this great in character that can pump himself up but it's i liked having that flexibility in between scenarios to try to choose different heroes try different tactics and i really enjoyed just tinkering with all the stuff and that's another high for me as well is just being able to try to figure out what heroes what to use and tinkering with the decks and you know as much as the decks we can not go below the number 50 which makes it kind of hard because you don't go through half the deck sometimes when you're playing um mm -hmm. at least we haven't you know it's like but i have all these cards that I have, you know <laughs> but um and drawing cards is a little bit challenging too because if i discard a lot of cards to get the willpower out <laughs> there aren't a lot of mechanics to refill those cards yeah. so it's a very delicate balancing act yeah so and so it makes it makes you think and i enjoy that part of the game because it makes you think it makes each experience a little different and i really enjoy that aspect and you know talking about heroes and listening to i'm um, talking about um about i can i'm gonna butcher the name paladin or whatever Felon. with him being able to do damage in the staging area as they come out and then i think oh we should put done here with him you know the two of them together might be able to knock some of the enemies out before they come out and attack but it gets you thinking like oh just listening to you guys talk is like oh we should try this so <laughs> so i enjoy that aspect of the game so and adam your thoughts towards deck construction and the strategy that goes into it yeah i mean i, I think that's like you almost have to be gravitated to this game for that yeah. a little bit right because it's like mm -hmm. so ingrained in this style of game um i think that's a plus for anyone playing right like they go into it knowing it's like a deck building game so mm. i'm going to be building decks and you know i think it's not your standard deck building game like if you think of like what deck building in terms of um i'm totally gonna mind blank on the really popular one now ascension um, um that's not the popular well that's one right that's now, one of them dominion, that's a good example yeah dominion that's what i was thinking of thank you so like where you're building that deck in the game that's yeah. kind of what i think people think of as deck building but this is truly a form of deck building where you're deck sure. building outside of the game and you're bringing it to the game um so yeah i don't know i think it's fantastic because like i said 
who doesn't like to build yes. their their Lord of the Rings magic deck kind of style thing <laughs> well, so, uh, to bring to a scenario. That's an interesting um, point to this game because you're starting with the set deck when you start the game. Where when we played Ascension, and I enjoy Ascension. Uh oh, here it comes. <laughs> here comes the fatal flaw of Tom. No, it's interesting because with Lord of the Rings Living Card Game, you have the set deck and you have to work with what you got. But watching Tom when we've played Ascension, I mean, he can narrow down and he goes after certain cards because he's already a few steps ahead. And I think you enjoy that more, building your deck in the gameplay more so than having a set deck or... actually i can kind of go either way because oh, like really? i do when we're playing like a uh, deck builder like legendary or whatever where you're buying the cards that are on the table like i love finding those edges leaning yeah. into them and grinding my opponents to go like i love that and i apologize when it's you honey <laughs> <laughs> but i do also enjoy like sitting down thinking about the lord of the rings deck and the tools that i want to bring to the table and like building three out of the four color decks here it's like oh dwarves 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 we're gonna get all four players we're all gonna have our dwarves and we are going to kick some butt because all these cards are going to synergize and play against each other Uh, i haven't really built a deck to try to specifically attack one of these scenarios that we played because we were kind of grabbing things at random to try to get a broad base of experiences uh for the show well we'll air some grievances now first and foremost brutal business model i've always hated how the living card game works like there's something to knowing the cards that you're going to get with each expansion but i'd much rather say here's the cost of the game with all the stuff included here's my money and i got it all great like i hate i just hate the piecemeal and especially now it's like we're revisiting this game a decade after we started we can't buy the cycles that we don't have them they've re-released two of the most recent cycles but it's just oh i hate that business model it drives me crazy I think they're doing better on the the reprint actually because it's for each cycle now it's literally two purchases okay. you get the like campaign content and then you get the character you kind of like you're either buying the baddies or the goodies mm-hmm. or you can buy both mm-hmm. but then you know you have everything for that cycle yeah i it's much not, much prefer that it's not like this whole I, I agree i don't like how they used to do the lcgs where it's like oh now this cycle is gonna have 800 things and i think that spawned from their x-wing releases because you can't release a whole box of x-wing fighters everyone's gonna buy just the fighters they want and if they were releasing it all in a box they're like well i want three tie fighters anyway so why are you selling it in a pack and i think that's maybe where it started and they realized with more recent releases maybe starting with marvel champions a little bit more um that they've started gravitating back towards that and i think they're kind of doing that now also with the arkham game Okay. is they're doing a re they redid the core box and that's where i jumped in as that one as well and now they're releasing just two cycle like two products per cycle which makes it way more manageable <laughs> for when you're trying to like either catch yeah. up or or just keep track of really yeah, i love that evolution um and kind of building off that thought having played with the whole first cycle of cards right now i don't feel like we had all the tools to beat the three missions in the box even with those first six expansions with a couple of saga expansions with a second base game like we bought all this stuff and like i still don't feel like we have a clear-cut um way to beat the second and third scenarios just from the base game let alone all of these scenarios that we got through those expansions the internet agrees all right well good i'm glad that uh yeah so what i was reading for that scenario is just like how like it is almost like you have to have every little domino fall in place and you have to have the perfect deck constructed to get it with just the first cycle stuff from what i've heard and i have a lot of confidence in my own abilities but i do not have the hubris to say that i have the perfect deck constructed yeah right (laughs) 
Uh, Adam, a mechanic that I know that you didn't particularly like was the mulligan for when you draw your cards. Tell yep. us about that and why it fell flat for yeah, you. Yeah, I just I feel like that's such an old game concept at this point. Like I feel like they've there should be. Now I'm not a game designer, so I'm not going to mm-hmm. say I know what the solution is, mm-hmm. but I just feel like the whole like okay, you get one redraw, and then you're done. It's like okay. Well, this scenario that I'm playing is a level seven that I'm dying in two turns and I have to have the perfect deck constructed for the perfect cards to come out. And it's like, now I'm mulliganed and it's still not what I need. So should I just wipe and reset? Like, you know, it just, it feels awkward and clunky and not perfect. So I would love to see them maybe find a better way Mm -hmm. that you could re-up your deck. And so I guess thinking of it in that terms, I would agree too, if there's a way to try to help and thinking of your spirit deck, it's like, what yeah. we should do is like, no tracker in the first hand, mulligan, no tracker in the second hand. All right, well, let's just play a different scenario and then yeah. do the same thing. Yeah. You know, I just I just randomly, as my brain is firing in 800 directions, I just thought of like uh, Slay the Spire, how they have those innate cards that start in your hand. I wonder if they could almost have that where it's like you could build uh, a certain exclusive amount of innate cards that it's like, I know I'm starting with these three cards or like starting yeah. hand cards. Maybe that would be a way to alleviate some of this mm-hmm. like super specific. And if you're still one of those hardcore gamers that's like oh that's too easy mode don't include them in your deck like i Mm -hmm. think that could be possibly a good solution but yeah no and that i would agree with from my perspective (laughs) (laughs) vini do you want to talk about easy mode we had a rather heated discussion about it with the prancing pony last night well well, i didn't know there was an easy mode but you know tom set up the whole prancing pony thing and we played it twice and it's just it was so hard the enemies and the treachery and the shadow cards were just hammered us and especially location but i was reading the package it says oh you can play this in easy mode take these cards out and try it and see how you do and I hard asked, pass I asked, I was like, why did we do the easy mode because <laughs> like we have to gauge ourselves against the normal mode like we played it once to find out how the mechanic works we tried it again thing trying to game the system and use that knowledge and like we you're not measuring yourself if you jump right into easy mode and when i played gloomhaven two of our compatriots wanted to play in easy mode the first couple scenarios i'm like no we won't know what we're capable of if we don't push against the full experience and like if you really can't progress fine then we can try easy mode but like i want to make sure that we've exhausted all of our options before we turn down the difficulty tom likes to die on the enemy spear i feel like yeah 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 a little bit i mean i'm not saying that i have never done it like jedi fallen order like i got all the way to the final boss and when i realized that that fight was untenable it's like all right well just turn it down one notch and credits roll and like i'm done with that but like i i want to make sure that all options are exhausted before i'm willing to make the game easier to accommodate my lack of skill yeah because yeah. i know at that fight in fallen order you banged your head against oh man i was so, so mad yeah and then you said, <laughs> yeah like i tried for hours and it's you like did. all right well this game just needs to end so we're gonna do this yeah. phoenix who is lord of the rings the card game for oh your perspective is really interesting here because like <laughs> Uh, Adam loves these big, meaty, clunky games. I have like this crazy, eclectic taste where I want to experience every board game there is and like see the positives of it. You have, you just haven't played as many games, but you jumped wholeheartedly into Lord of the Rings, the card game. So, who is this game a fit for? 
Well, I'd say you, Adam, and Joey mostly. But, you know. <laughs> but you've had a lot of fun with it. Like you enjoy I, this experience. No, I put myself in it because we played it a lot, and I and again having Adam and Joey and you, you guys have the ability to make someone feel comfortable and love teaching games more so Adam and Joey than you because you <laughs> yeah you fair. have to learn all the rules for me for our game so I know it gets tiresome to try to keep track of everything not know? tiresome not tiresome I wouldn't use that word but it is like it is a lot to be like the rules expert in a yeah. two-person setting and to make sure that you get all the nuance right and then like you flip through things it's like oh well I screwed that up 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 well we had fun so we win right yeah well and also I know with your friends too you're kind of the person that they lean on for the rules too so i know it can be outside of joey and adam uh no comment (laughs) but um yeah for me someone that has some experience to games who loves co-op games but want to try something a little bit more challenging and a little bit more um you know i guess challenging and to engage your thinking cells to try something that you know you're going to fail at but will enjoy the experience i think someone like that it would be a good game for and um i guess as far as the living card games i haven't played champions with you which i was nervous about trying but now that we've played lord of the rings more i might try champions since it's supposed to be a little easier i as far as starting, we're definitely bring burns to quarterback that one i <laughs> <laughs> uh, just for living card games i you know lord of the rings is hard but i think even though you love arkham horror um property i heard that's probably the hardest one yeah that's i think somehow another step up i don't know how but so as far as choosing a living card game i don't know if unless you really truly love lord of the rings and maybe champions is a little easier for people to onboard with this type of gaming style but i don't know i'd say this game is truly for like core gamers there's just a lot of nuance to it and you need a qb like i'm very glad that you jumped into this experience and especially did the show with us like we talked about your insecurity that's a hard thing to put out there adam who do you feel like lord of the rings the card game is for yeah, I don't know if you need a QB. You just need a good aggro tank with a decent healer. And if the healer's not performing to the levels... Uh... Nobody was wounded, and I believe you threaded out. <laughs> yeah, actually, there, I didn't have nothing... any wounds. At the time I did die on our second game, it was because my threat just went through the roof really fast. So, no, you did fine, I guess. But uh, um, Fine, I, did... I guess. I should get that printed on a t-shirt. That's what yeah, you fine, said when fine, like I guess. we yeah. conceived our first child, right, honey? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I definitely think you have to be okay with a challenge to jump into this game. Um, like you have to be okay losing. And like, I like to poke fun at my friend Casey a lot because like Casey gets really worked up when a game isn't like manageable. We had a very heated blow up about a scenario in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. um, uh, Shadows of the Past, I think is our board game. And like the scenario that he jumped into, he came in right at the end. It was very hard and the heroes hadn't, planned very well and we're in a bad situation he's like this game's terrible it's not balanced blah 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 i'm like well that's intended to be a hard scenario and like if you win you get this killer reward for the next scenario so like you're not supposed to win it's not supposed to be easy like it Mm -hmm. and if you're not willing to accept that sometimes you're not supposed to win like this is gonna be a very uh frustrating game for you yeah yeah you definitely have to be okay with losing because you you will lose at, at multiple times as you're kind of growing as a player and i think that's kind of another aspect of a trade of maybe what you would have to like 
is you kind of want that deep strategy not saying like i mean you could have just a player come and be like Mm -hmm. okay i just build me a deck please i i know the rules and i'll just play the deck yeah that's fine but like if you really want to get into it if you're the one buying the cards or whatever i feel like you have to kind of be okay with that process of um learning the scenarios learning the strategies of the cards how they interact and and really puzzling together Mm -hmm. that that big picture of what the game is i feel like um another point that i just thought of it's when we were doing this game lately the girls have been taking a long time falling asleep for us but you know we've been able to keep the cards out on the table downstairs we've been able to set it's a nice game to come down and play one scenario maybe play it twice without spending two to three hours yeah when you get your butt kicked in two turns it goes pretty quick (laughs) but it is if you want to play something that's quick without investing a lot of time because it's late at night and you just want to at least play something and the setup isn't horrible like you have to pick out there's different classes of enemy cards so like if you're playing journey down the end one you might need the like wolves deck and the goblins deck and the like saruman deck and then you shuffle those together you have your enemies set up and like you deal your cards and you jump into it yeah and Games like that are nice for us to have right now on the stage we're at with the girls as far as bedtime and getting stuff done before we have to go to bed. It's just nice to have games that you can sit down and maybe play in a short amount of time, even though you might fail, which is difficult to... And go to bed mad, which is always <laughs> like great. <laughs> but, you know, because a lot of times some board games, you have to really commit to the setup, the time for the setup, sit down, and then... You don't know sometimes how long that game is because your friends play Nemesis and how many hours did they play that one? Six hours for one playthrough. Yeah. And so it's just, it is nice to have games that you can just sit down that are complex and challenging without being long. And that's mm-hmm. what I, I enjoy about this game too. Yeah, that is a really great but, point. And I didn't think of that at all. Definitely would agree with that as well. Yeah. Because <laughs> a lot of games that are, you know, maybe quick they might not be as challenging too because you know if you're a hardcore gamer but you don't have a lot of time some of those games that are short maybe aren't as Mm -hmm. or take an hour to set up yeah you know scratch that itch for you real quick before you go to bed or something so well now that you have the general population all fired up for lord (laughs) of the rings the card game let's talk about some tips for new players before we jump into our final thoughts my first tip Try different heroes. Like, you know, you might not get the, you might not grok their special ability in fullness until, like, you're actually in the scenario and using it. So don't be afraid to mix up your heroes in between the different scenarios. Yeah, uh, I think just first and foremost, you are going to lose. So just prepare yourself for that, for sure. Um, I, Your points are right on for Ooh. someone that is new and just being prepared to be frustrated and being prepared to try different mechanics trying different heroes just keep retrying over and over again like the real hook of the game is figuring out the right tools for the job right like you're gonna lose try not to get too frustrated even though it like sucks to get your butt kicked in two turns like oh wow that was excruciating yeah now i'm gonna change my deck to do this i'm gonna try this different hero um yeah i have just like enjoy the process of the puzzle right so enjoying that process and kind of i guess like a little tip for well since we're talking about tips for beginners here 
I think until you start seeing the more complex inner workings of the web, a really good general place to start is A, if you're drawing cards, you're having more solutions to more problems. Mm -hmm. And B, if you're generating more resources, you're able to play those cards. So like for a beginner, that's what I'd try to set them up with is a deck that has resource generation increase comboed with card draw mechanic because now you're seeing more cards so you're getting more experience and you're able to play those cards so you're you feel like you're doing you know doing yeah. more so i think that's a good way to kind of start to roll into it and then you know depending on the levels of the people at the table if you're playing solo it's like then start going off into those really crazy like you know rabbit hole strategies yes. of like solo whatever tom wants to like finagle hobbit throwing a ring into a, a mountain style <laughs> strategy but i know it's out there so that's why it's like i think that's like there's definitely safe bases to start on to mm -hmm. then go into it further many tips for solo players adam um i don't feel like i'm an expert enough on that because i've also been playing too like i played solo the first time i walked through the scenario and then ever since then because then i played with you guys as well um, with the multiple hands, I'm like, ah, oh, this, this feels a little better to me. So I've been playing two handed. Sure. Don't be scared to play two handed. Cause it definitely gives you a good experience. And like I said, it, it then doesn't take away if you bring a hero that you want to bring with ranged or sentinel, it allows them to fully be that hero that they intended to be for their cost. Mm -hmm. Um, you definitely don't want to waste like cost value in this game at all so. yeah this game is hard so mm -hmm. you need to make the best use of all of yeah. your resources so if you feel comfortable playing two-handed uh, that's where i start that's just kind of how i jive though with solo gaming a lot like too many bones as well i always play mm -hmm. at least two characters because mm -hmm. even though that's super complicated when it's a headache for one but once you kind of learn them it's a lot easier to do that so okay. you also see more cards and learn faster that way so maybe that's my tip i guess <laughs> play two-handed to start and then go from there so adam you jumped in for the show you played a whole bunch are you like done with lord of the rings the card game now is like going back into the shelf until you eventually relegate it for something else or like what's what's your future and your final thoughts on lord of the rings the card game? yep i've already sold it i'm done with it i hate it <laughs> it's a bad experience um no, I think this just kind of lit the fire uh, right now for me. And I think it's like the perfect game for my situation where we're living in a townhome right now. We've had to downsize. Most of my board games are in storage yeah. with us building a house and things like that. And this is a card game that fits on my work desk. So mm. I can literally just clean off my work papers, throw out the cards at night after Emily's in bed and Nicole said she's done of being awake for the day and <laughs> and i'm like okay well i still got like five more hours of energy before it's 2 a.m and i should go to bed to tell myself i should go to bed so it's really easy for me to get out in my current situation too just a current living situation mm -hmm. um where like some of the games are hard to do that with like yeah. burn cycle for example i'd love to get a game of burn cycle out but the problem is by the time i do that i have to do it at the kitchen table well guess what that's where emily eats breakfast in the morning and the yes. burn cycle mat's way too big so i'd have to pick up part of the game so it's like it's like i started playing this i'm like oh my god i'm so glad we're doing this for the podcast <laughs> a giving me an excuse to play it and b now it's like i found my love for it and i knew i was yeah. not that i knew i was gonna like the game but i had a very good inkling that I would jive with this game for mm -hmm. sure. Well, I'm so glad you had such a good experience with it. Phoenix, your second time around with Lord of the Rings, the card game, we got a lot deeper this time than yeah. we did in our first go-round. It's a nice fit for this stage of life for us, but your final thoughts and your takeaways from Lord of the Rings, the card game. I enjoyed it. I like the replayability of it. And again, the ease of setup and doing a quick scenario here and there. Um, I truly enjoy it, and I would like us to keep trying to play more. 
And it'll be fun to set up maybe once a month, try and get people, um, maybe Adam Joy over again to do four players and try some of the doing that together so i agree that would be awesome i love this game and i want to share it with more of my friends like i just we have pat's copy of the game that was our second and like i'm really bummed that he didn't come over to play it with me while it was like top of mind for the podcast so thanks for ruining my life patrick (laughs) (laughs) that is going to do it for our discussion on tolkien and the lord of the rings the card game next month we're breaking down video game movies of the 2000s with our annual video game movie episode Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Outside is Overrated. Please support our show at Patreon, uh, on Patreon at patreon.com slash OIO. For Adam Wilson at Ox's Auditorium and Phoenix at Phoenix Sidlogic OIO on Instagram, I'm Tom Sidlogic at Tom Sidlogic OIO. We'll talk to you next month. Stay inside, kids. <laughs>